Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Recorded live. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to another episode of The Greatest Show on Tuesday night. The virtual talk show for married men. Where we bring you that marriage fire every Tuesday night. That's right. I said that fire. Um, to any newcomers, please go to our website, check us out anytime at www.householdstress.com, where you can listen to any of the archived topics, and if you just want to find out what we're doing uh, right now, please go to that website. That website, again, is www.householdstress.com. Um, I'm one of your hosts for the evening. My name is P-Town. And my partner's helping me out this evening, as always, is Mr. T-Hawk, Mr. Unexpected Rodney. Um, we have a few rules this evening. Um, I have to tell you about no cursing, respect each other's comments, and it's okay to agree to disagree. Our topic this evening, our topic this evening, before I give the topic, I got to put a disclaimer out there. I got to put a disclaimer out there. Um this is might turn into an emotional call, so if you haven't gotten it, you need to get your drink right now. Keep that drink right beside you because we might get that to the heart, and it's fine. We grown men on this call, and if we hear you hiccup a little bit of a pause, it's fine because we're going to get deep tonight, fellas. We're going to get real deep, and then we're going to get emotional, and it may affect a lot of different people in different ways, and um, a lot of people need to hear this. And maybe you have something that you want to say that you want to get out. But our topic this evening is, can my father be the cause of my marriage problems? Wow. Can my father be the cause of my marriage problems? So let's get started. Now, we all grew up differently on this phone. Everybody on this phone, we grew up differently. And some of us grew up with both parents in the home. Some of us were raised by a single parent, a mother or a single father. Um, and quite frankly, some of us have been raised without parents. Some of us just been raised by the street. Let's just get real. Um, but our conversation tonight is on how to figure out um, if these issues about parenting has affected our problems in our marriage today. Because our, our, our issues with our father if we have any, will affect or has affected our marriage today. Um, I want to take a survey, fellas. I want to take a quick survey. Um, There's some things that we need to um, put on the table before we start asking a lot of different questions. Um, Survey questions is, how many guys on this phone grew up with both parents? Uh, Just say I, and I'll just take a little count. I did. I, mean, I did. Yeah, I did. I got two, three. Anybody else? I did. All right, four. I was the next bag. 
right. Only four of us, they grew up with both parents? I, I did. did. Oh, we got five? I did. That's six. All right, how many um, grew up just one with the, um, one parent, their mother? They, they were single parent home, and their mother was the father in the home. Half my life. Half Okay, that's fine. Well, half of my and, life. Mm-hmm. And how many just grew up with a father? None? That's a big, fat zero. Well, we may ask this question a little bit later when other folks get on the phone, but this is very, very important in, in how we talk and discuss this issue because you may get uh, differences between somebody who's had both parents versus somebody who's been uh, raised by a mother or just their father. Um, my second question, my second question, fellas, this survey question only, um, how many folks on the phone, parents uh, divorced, got divorced while they were young? I did. All right. I got two. I'm I'm putting myself in there. Anybody else? What age are you talking about so far as young? 18. Okay. While you were, you know, until you graduated from high school, 17, 18, somewhere right in there. Separated could be the same thing, divorced or separated. That would be me. All right, I got three, four. All right, wow. Out of the six that both have parents, four of them. Okay, that that, that tells me a lot here. How many of um of our parents in their first marriage and your biological parents are still together? Mine are mine are forty four years this year. One. Mine are years. Two. How many years? You remember? Uh, about 40 years. All right, 40 years. Anybody else? About 40 years. I'm sorry, say that. Another one about 40 years. Okay, I got three about 40 years. Okay. All right. Um, How many, survey question, survey question, how many of you had a good relationship with your father? I did. I did. I did. All right. I, did. I still do. Still do. Four. I did. I'll put myself in there. All right. And um, last survey question, last survey question. Did your father talk to you about life, sex, or religion at any time between when you were young? Nope. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. No. I got I got one no. I got one yes so far. Yes. I got two yes. No. Two no's. I put myself in. I put myself in a no because not all three he didn't talk to me about. I'm missing two people. I'm missing two people. Did did uh, your father talk to you about life, sex, or religion at any time? I'm. Oh, I'm sorry. No. No. Okay. All right. There we go. All right, fellas, thank you. Appreciate the survey. Appreciate the survey. So let's get to it. Um, here's my first question to the, to the audience here. Do you know what you have learned? Do you know now what you have learned about marriage from your father? 
when it comes to communication? Did you and your father communicate? No. Frequently? I say no. Nah. You know, my, my pops didn't talk too much, especially about the relationship stuff. So mm-hmm. I would you know, I would say probably if I learned anything from him it was just um from his actions. Visual. <laughs> yeah, visual yeah. in a positive light. Mhm. Yeah, my dad was, and I asked this question because I, I broke it down into three: communication, visual, and military style. My dad was a direct person. He was a military army man. So his training of me was more direct. You know, it was visual, but it was more direct. He showed me how to make a bed properly to. You know, how you fold your clothes properly to, you know, how 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 to clean the bathroom all the way down to the toothbrush. And um, I think that's the way, that was our communication. It was his direct instructions to me on what to do. Yeah, I was saying I, I was probably, I can probably relate to that because that's, my dad did communicate with me on how to wash the car, change the oil, cut the grass, that sort of thing, but not just on, um, you know, life in general, you know, stuff like that. It was just more, like you said, just the – and he was not in the military, never been in the military, but, um, you know, it was more like just giving the orders. Oh, yeah. It was just like giving the orders. Well, um, <clears throat> give me a second, though. Give me one second, fellas. Just change the right on the bottom. Yeah, because um, my problem is with my pops is, is that we never sat down and talked about real-life situations. It was more of the direct. Here's here's your your man, and in order to be a man, this this is how you be a man. It was more direct. It was more of a uh, um, a situation that you should already know this. Figure it out for yourself. Type of situation, and because of that, um, I I looked at him more visually instead of asking questions. Can anybody agree with that? They they just kind of follow what their dad did instead of really asking him questions about things or were you the question asking? Mm. Well, what I can say is uh, I did a lot of following. You know, basically whatever my dad did, I kind of followed his example. And I think most men in general... Do that. I think most men in general just uh, have a tendency just to um, fall in line with, you know, whatever their father do, whether either it be positive or whether it be negative. Most men just have a tendency just to follow their father because down on the inside is something to tell them that this is my dad, this is my father, he's my role model, so whatever he do must be good for me, so I should do what he's doing. 
Yeah, you're right. That's good words. I, because I, I believe that was it. Um, my dad, you know, he would go outside. I would want to go outside. You know, I wanted to be around my dad all the time. But then there were some times where I felt like he probably didn't want to be around me. There were some things that he wanted to do that I couldn't go. And let's just be honest, it just made me sad when I was growing up. Because um, I think all of us at the end of the day wanted to make our father proud. So when we see him do something and he got accolades for that, we wanted to make sure when we did it that we made him feel good. Is that a true statement? I could agree with that. You know, every every son wants their uh, their father to um, be proud of them. You know, my father, my father, though he's been he passed away, he's been dead ten years now. Um, even now, through my day to day life, though he never got an opportunity to meet his grandchildren or even see me get married, everything I still do now, even to this day, I do it to make him proud, knowing that he's not here in the physical to see it, but just innately, I still do things just to make my father proud, knowing that I can carry his name and make him proud, even though he's not even here to see it. Mm. You you had asked a question about uh, did you follow your father's instruction or did you just um, ask questions? Mm-hmm. For me, I mean, I didn't have to ask questions to him. I followed him, but I had brothers that I asked the questions to. Oh, okay. I was younger. So I had brothers when when I when it came time to ask questions, I didn't have to ask my father directly. If I didn't understand something, I asked my brothers that was older than me, What did daddy mean by this? And then mm. they would then they would explain. So, you know, for me it was it was different. You know, I didn't have to follow and not ask questions or whatever. I asked questions to my brothers. Mm. Good words, good words. Well, and I asked that question because I wanted to find out in in your development and in your growth, did you go to your dad for advice or was the uh, best advice your pops? And and then if you did, what was the best advice your pops ever gave? The best advice, my and I didn't go to him for this advice, but... He would always say, you know, sometimes, son, you have to pay for your learning, you know, which means that whether uh, a literal cost or a a figurative cost that you had to, you know, sort of, you you had to pay for it in some sense. Mm -hmm. Now, is that direct in life in general, or is that um, when... You start growing up and you start questioning your pops about girls. No, no, no. It was nothing about girls. It was just in life in general. Again, my mm-hmm. father didn't. We didn't. We didn't talk on that level. Because that's my following question. And in your in, in your growing up, and you're ten, eleven, twelve, and you're starting to like girls, and your body's growing, and you're seeing a little hair grow down there, and it's getting a little larger than what it used to be. Did you go to your dad and say, Dad, what's going on? 
Or did you go to your mom and say, Ma, look. <laughs> That's a crazy question, but it's extremely interesting. I had to go through it, and I'm kind of going through it now. That's why the question came up, because, you know, um, you know, you're getting you're about fifth grade, sixth grade. You're starting to look at these girls a little different. And you might even get a little girlfriend in school. You're getting cute. What would you go to your dad and ask? Did you go and ask him about girls? And uh, my son the other week, he came to me and said, Dad, I don't know why this girl's mad at me. And I said, and she, she just snapped at me for no reason. I don't even, I, I ain't do nothing. I said, man, she's not mad at you. She's mad at something, but she's taking it out on you because she can't take it out on anybody else. And, I, you know, I had to school them on that. She got she got in trouble with her mom, and she snapped at him. Well, I was like, I'm like the ugly brother. I had brothers that were anywhere from 14 years older than me to 20 years older than me. So pretty much they were who I uh, got those kind of knowledge from. See, I grew up with the sister. So there were some questions I went directly to her, but then those other questions I went to my pops. But somebody said on the phone that they went to their brothers. They didn't have to go to their father because they had other brothers. But did you get the answer um, that you were looking for? Yeah, either from your brothers or from the other oh, people yeah. instead of instead of from your father. Yeah, because uh, I was pretty much uh, separated from my father at the age of nine. So after that, it was my brothers. They were the disciplinarians. They were the advisors. You know, and um, uh, up to that time, I guess I don't I, I don't know. My father and I relationship changed, and it wasn't because of what him and my mother went to, because that wasn't my business. But he became closer to my sister when, at a younger age, the two of them didn't get along, you know. So he grew close to her as we reached the point of late teens, adulthood, you know, and, and, and there was one occasion he tried to be daddy, you know, and I told him, I said, it's too late for that. I'm grown. You know, you can't chastise me or tell me whatever I'm doing, I shouldn't be doing. After that, we had a clear understanding of each other, and we had a more, a greater understanding because he saw that I'd reached the point of manhood. You know, so... Pretty much it was my brothers I looked up to that I really wanted to make proud of me. So it was like a flip flop there. So, CJ, let me ask you this. So, um, 
now that your your relationship with your father is going, he's 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 more towards his daughter, daddy's girl, and he's letting you do the thing. Do you think that's the way it affects the way you father right now to your kids? <clears throat> no. <clears throat> yeah, I have to say my my father was, uh, if I can put it this way, he was a combination of angel and death. You know, my father was forty five when he had me. So it was a whole different thing then, you know. Um, I think she grew closer to my sister because when you have daughters, they are the ones that will pretty much, you can look forward that they will do for you more than son, you know. Um, and it wasn't that I was jealous for that because before he died, he and I, you know, because we used to bump heads. I mean, there were a lot of things that we didn't agree upon. But it wasn't something where I could tell you, hey, I'm pissed off at my father. You know, it was just we didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things. And one of the many statements he made to me is, you more like your mother. And I understood what he meant by that because, you know, she was the one that, that I would go to and... And if I needed to, if I didn't go to my brother, it would be her, you know. But, um, but like I said, you, you, you know, it wasn't like, oh, I hate my dad type of thing. It's just that we had a whole different outlook on, on things because of the way he was doing us and what he went through. Mm-hmm. But he was a survivor. And he he worked, and he did not accept laziness. You know, and I appreciate that. You know, you didn't land a bit till eleven, twelve o'clock. You know, and he was no guitar. Hey, DJ, you on a speakerphone? Because you you sound a little muzzle. Oh, you on your um earpiece? Yeah. Oh, okay. It was just sounded like you were far away from us for a quick minute. Yeah, I'm fine. All right. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. You're you're 100% clear. 100% clear. Yeah, it's that headpiece I was in. Oh, okay. So, um, yeah, I did get some of that, and um, that brings me to the next question for everybody on the call. Is that um? What did you get from your father? What did you inherit from your father? Do you know? <laughs> I I got a lot of strength from my father. Strength. Yeah, strength. Uh, basically, uh, my father is always the one to keep his cool and always, you know, talk the situation out. And, you know, he he never acts irrational. You know, there's always, he's always thinking about something so far over the horizon that most people don't even get it. You know, and so learning that, you know, him teaching me and still teaching me that lesson today, you know, is, is you know, the strength that he has to, you know, to be steadfast and say, you know, this is the way this should be because of this, you know, and, and Explain that, you know, that's something that, you know, I got from him. Mm-hmm. Did, 
did that show up when you saw disagreements with your mom and pops? All the time. You know, it was almost like my dad had a crystal ball. I mean, he could predict the future almost. And he would tell my mom, and my mom would go go against the grain, go her way. You know, my mom was very stubborn. And uh, and sometimes with stubborn people, even though they may even, if they were thinking, they would like, no, you're right. But they just won't. They're too stubborn to admit it, so they'll just keep going wrong anyway. And so I, I saw a lot of those those arguments in my house. Yeah. But, you know, for me, one of the things that I got, I mean, I can say good and bad that I got from my father. Good good side, he was always working. I mean, he would sometimes work day and night, so he was always, you know, a hard worker. Um, Mm -hmm. Also, he was a person that didn't, you know, didn't really take nothing from nobody in the sense of being wise see right through people. Um, he had a saying that says, don't take no wood and nickel. In other words, don't let nobody pull the wool over your eyes all the, you know, none of that time. So those are the wise things that, you know, that he, he's given me. But when I think on the bad side, he talked to everybody. And when I mean by talking to everybody, every woman he was flirting with. Uh-oh, he was you know what I'm saying? He was he mm-hmm. was he was very. I mean, it was like on a sneak test flirt. Hey, how you doing? You know, <laughs> the cashier, the cashier lady, the lady mm-hmm. that's ringing him up. He would flirt with her, you know. Uh, then he would look at her name and say her name back to her, which, in a sense, indicated to her that he's paying attention to her. So he he did those different kind of things, and, and he and he talked to men too, but it was more. It was different when he talked to women. As a little boy, I recognized that that thing. You know, he would talk to a guy, you know, hey, how you doing and everything. But when he talked to a woman, it was a little bit extra. Now, how would he do that around your mom, though? Would he do that around your mom, or was he respectful of your mom when when it came to that? No, he was was pretty respectful of your mom, I mean, of my mom, because if anything, he would, you know, say, hey, how you doing, uh, Dorothy? How's everything? And then, you know, and then he would ask for discounts all the time. You know, my father was like a Jew. Well, you, you guys don't know. He was asking discounts all the time on anything. And and so it was it was respectful, but you could tell when he was going overboard. Mm-hmm. With my mom around him, because I would nudge him and be like, all right, Dad. And then the first thing he would say is, what? I'm just asking her this. <laughs> And I'm like, nah, man, you don't went overboard. And when I got older, I would tell him, I was like, nah, dad, you you went overboard right here. Wow. I've seen that happen. That's why I'm giggling, man, because that brings up some situations with my pops, man, he, how he would do that little flirt thing. Yeah. And I, I could never catch up with it. But I knew, but I just didn't know at the time. Because, you know, when you're young, you... You just think he's being nice. Yeah, but I, I want to ask the brother, you know, is, you know, with seeing that and recognizing that, you know, as a little boy and, of course, as an adult, you know, did did some of that transfer over to you? Like, you know, do, do you have, do you, do you kind of do the same thing when you're out and about, you know, um, you know, when it when it relates to, 
uh, speaking to women, or you just kind of just noticed that about him, but it didn't transfer over to you? Oh, no, it transferred. You said you get things, some things get by default. Yeah. yeah. That was something by default. But, you know, as I, as I go, as I got older, I learned how to control it, and I learned how to, you know, when I got married, you know, I'm divorced now, but when I got married, uh, I learned how to, I learned how to cater that thing. I learned how to, okay, Carlos, you're talking too much, man. Time to walk away. You know, but before then, you know, before I was married, I would say that, but I'd be like, okay, I ain't, you know, I ain't got nobody. I'm by myself, so I can just keep on going. But yeah, it it, it transferred over. And you know, to me. Now, did that cause problems in your marriage? Did that? No, 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 no. Because by the time I got married, I had control of that thing. Gotcha. <laughs> because I knew, I knew if I didn't want her doing it, so what made me? You know, how could I do that? Gotcha. You know what I'm saying? Because you know, you give what you you you, you give what you take. So if you're taking that kind of flirtatious kind kind of thing. You got to be able to give it to, or you got to be able to take it too. So I didn't want to take it, so I didn't want to give. Mhm. Yeah, because when when you, you know, when you speak to anybody, whether you're flirting or not, when you, whenever you use her name, whenever you use anybody's name, that's the that's the most beautiful sound that anybody can hear. Because it's, it's, I mean, it's their name. They've been hearing it all their lives. So when you pay attention, you know, to their names, that, you know, because some people don't remember names. Um, mm-hmm. I do. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's it's something that I make sure I pay attention to, and it's it's not just with with with, with women; it's with men too. I make sure when somebody tells me their name, I make sure I I, I remember it, and uh, you know, because it, it's important. I think because uh, a lot of times I tell people my name, and uh, it kind of like goes in one ear and out the other, and then the next time I see them, I'm like, "Hey, what's up, John?" And they're like, "Hey, what's your name again?" You know, because right. they weren't paying attention. You know, so when it comes to, you know, those little things like you say, your your, your pops was using people's, you know, the, the ladies' names. That was already, you know, he already got a little bonus points, you know, right there. Yeah, it, it makes the connection. With, mm-hmm, with exactly. It. it makes that connection. So yeah, that's what he uses. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot I, of times. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I mean, because right. well, I think a, I think a lot of times when it, when it comes to men, especially when married men, you know, um, we have a tendency to uh, be flirtatious, and we're not really trying to be flirtatious, you know, because mm. obviously, you know, um, so I'm first time called, but being a minister and stuff, I'm gonna uh, believe that you know women are receivers and men are givers, and because men are givers and women are receivers, they always listening for something, mm. and as long as we say something to them. They're going to receive it. It's just like you take sex, for example. You know, women are receivers and men are givers. You know, it's the same way with communication. You know, every bedroom scene started with a phone call, with a text, you know, when somebody said something. Two people just don't bump into each other and have a kid. Somebody has to say something. And I think as men, especially married men or whatever the case may be, you know, we have to be careful what we say especially to the opposite sex because, you know, what what we do is we begin to put something in that person, and we don't never know what it may grow into. Like I go to the grocery store every week, 
is usually the same cashier working. I usually go to the same line because most men, by nature, we creatures of habit. And that's how we sometimes fall into these little, you know, these little holes because we're going to the same cashier, same person, saying the same thing. And if we keep speaking, eventually, you know, you might gain some interest. So you get an argument at the house with your wife, and all of a sudden you at the grocery store, same cashier, same thing, same this, and then you spark something. And next thing you know, you into a situation that you didn't even really mean to get into. So I think a lot of times, you know, you were speaking about, you know, your pops, you know, you know, uh, having a situation and that being transferred down to you, and that's how it happens because by most men by nature, you know, we just we love to communicate, and and women love to receive. So as long as we say stuff to them, they're gonna have something to say back to us, and every man's not strong enough to receive what women may say back, especially today. These women are a little different. You know, you give them one word, they give you back a whole conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, right. uh, so, but as far as, like, you know, picking up from, like, you know, father, like from my father, I picked up, you know, I like to say I picked up his patience because in the 30 years that they was married, you know, before he passed, I never saw my parents in an open argument. To me, it always seemed like they had, you know, perfect marriage, and I always say, well, how, you know, is that possible? Because I would have friends and stuff, I would be at their house, and I would see their parents getting open arguments. You know, it wasn't until I got married and I talked to my mom, like, you know, mom, you know, how do you and dad, you know, you guys never seem to have any arguments. She said, oh, we had disagreements all the time, but we made it a point to never do have an argument in front of our children, and we made a point never to have a discussion, you know, if y'all wasn't asleep. So I never knew that. So all my life, I just thought my marriage had, a, you know, my parents had a perfect marriage. But it just took later on in life for me to ask the question after I got married, you know, how they do that. And then me and my wife, we, I took up that same thing from them. Me and my wife, if we have a disagreement or argument, we'll never do it in front of the children. It don't, I don't care how big it is. I don't care how serious it may be. We will wait till they go to sleep. We will go into a room and close the door because I have a daughter and a son, and I want to make sure that when they grow up to get married that they know how to control themselves in front of their children because if not, our kids pick up those habits. And like you said, you know, we pick them up and we don't even think twice about it. It just becomes a part of our, our fabric, a part of our nature just because we were around it all our lives. Mm, good words, good words. Because uh, somebody brought up earlier, like, you know, their father didn't take nothing from nobody. And you just brought up a good point about how, even in a marriage, sometimes the wife may say something. Uh, and some men can't handle it and will snap. Snap in front of the kids, snap in front of anybody where they at, wherever they are. Um, did we get that? From the, I didn't get that because my father, he was patient. He was like your father. He was patient. But my mom, she would just go off. <laughs> And so, is, go ahead. I'm just saying, it, you, it came from somewhere. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? And to kind of figure out who it came from, it's hard. Now, you said your mom, you know, was the one to flick off, and your father was patient, but still in all. I think, I think it's still hard to see where it came from, because your father could have learned patience. But when he was, you know, younger, he could have, you know, been been that guy. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, just to put a label on it and find out where it came from, I think that's a task all in itself. But yeah, that's that's a great point. I mean, 
my mom would rant and holler and cuss and all this stuff. You know, my dad was always trying to get to peace. You know, he was always very patient. And, uh, I, you know, I never saw my dad really lash out or anything physically or verbally at my mom. You know, it was always a one-sided argument. But then I would talk to my aunts, you know, my dad's sisters, and they would tell me my dad was certifiable. <laughs> <laughs> my dad was the same way, man. Cause, uh, yeah. Like, my mom was really the disciplinary in the house because uh, nobody, my sister or I, we didn't want to hear them words, I'm telling your father. Because that's a different type of, uh, that's a different different type of confrontation because um and i think i got this from my dad is that um when it came to us my mother probably would keep a lot of things under wrap so i would still be living right now because when my dad would find out i mean he the one thing he always told me is if i have to leave work for anything dealing with you it's not going to be, a, and, and and that, it, it ha, you know, it happened once, and, it, and 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 he shut it down right then. See, I think, you know, growing up, we were able to get away with things, even with arguments. We could argue with our mother as kids, but nobody would stand up there and try to argue with their father. Because uh-huh. there's a different type of results that happen when you try to, you know, argue with your father and no. go toe-to-toe with your father. Now, P-Town, I'm going to tell you this. My, my dad would go crazy on me as well as be my behind. But there was one time where my mama made it like I hit her. I remember, I don't remember because she knocked me out. I don't think I hit her. But that's another story. But anyway, when my dad came home, my mom was acting all like, you know, your son hit me. He didn't beat me. He took me outside. And he tied my leg up and my arm up. And he said, if you hit my woman again, I'm going to cut your leg and your arm off. And left the backyard that night. Tied up. All night? Not all night. He came out there and got me. That's because my child. Yeah. <laughs> it was because your mama. <laughs> your mama saved you. And I'm like, you know, I don't even think I, I told my mom, I don't even think I hit you. Uh, last thing I remember I said to my mom was, she was like, who you think you're talking to? And I said, I'm talking to you. And the next thing I know, I was upstairs. And we was in the mall, I was upstairs. <laughs> and might have fallen on her as I was knocked out, but I didn't hit her. Yeah. I mean, the worst I ever did to my mom is said, shut. And I didn't even get the uh, up out. Right, exactly, exactly. It was and quick. all I remember is my mom said, please don't tell him. Let him go. Please. <laughs> That's all I remember. But the and my question dad is, was just sitting there watching TV. But the question is, where is that fear today? Where is the fear? That is, that is the question. Where, where is that fear today? Because, you know, not only okay, I'm a minister, I'm a police officer too. And a lot of the dudes I deal with, you know, in the in the DMV area, mm-hmm. uh, you know, most of them, just all honestly, 95% of them is black males, ages 15 to 25. And when you talk to them, you know, 
I try to talk to him, you know, outside of the, the law enforcement arena. You try to talk to him, and you ask him, you know, you know, most of the time you ask for the information. Ninety-five percent of the time, all they have is a mother or a grandmother's information. Put the father in jail, father not home, they don't have a relationship with him. And then, you know, what happens, what ends up happening is, is um, they end up getting raised by the system. And then, mm-hmm. obviously, we know being raised by the system don't help nobody because all it do is lead to, you know, long-term situations where you constantly in the system and then, you know, then your children grow up, then they in the system. You know, that, that stern mindset like, you know, I grew up with, like you all grew up with, where if my mom said, when your daddy gets here and you all ready, you all ready, you're trying to fall asleep early. Because you ain't want him to beat you when you got home. You try to go to sleep. The sun's still out. You try to go to sleep. So I remember one time we was going out of town, and we was traveling. My dad told us, he was like, you know, when we when we get to the destination, I'm going to beat you and your brother. And we had five hours to go. That was, oh, the, the, longest, that was the longest five hours of our lives. Mm-hmm. So we, we didn't know what to expect, you know. But that fear of of a, of a godly man or a father... You know, in in the youth today, and even young adults today, it's just not there. Because if it was there, we wouldn't have some of the problems, in my opinion, that we currently have. A mother can only do so much because, by nature, she's not really built to raise, uh, um, raise and guide a man. Because she she really, by nature, can't do it. She can do the best she can do. And there's some great men that have come out of some homes with just moms, but by nature, it just it isn't in her. And um, I think the only way we can really kind of get that back is it, it, it's a day-to-day situation, day-to-day situation on um, changing, really changing a culture and a mindset of how men actually think to make men realize that, you know, that the proper way to do things, you know, to have a wife, to have a children, to raise your children, you know, there is a proper way to do things. You don't have to always do things the way that you may see on on TV or, you know, some, you know, fake real house wild or something like that. You know, there is a proper way to do things, but they have to be taught how to do things properly. Mm. Great words. I, I think one of the things that you said about how do we – get that, well, where does that change, you know, so far as um, that fear? Uh, we had the fear because, you know, like you said, wait till your your mother would say, wait till your daddy get home. You're like, whoa, I don't want to see what happens when daddy get home. Or mm-hmm. uh, if I ever got to lose time at my job, you ain't going to like it. Or, or I'm going to put this belt to your butt. Those were the fears that we had growing up. Yep. But I think where it was lost, where you have, like you said, you take the mail out of the house, number one. That's why you got all these programs, male mentors. You got um, you got um, programs where it, they give Big brother, big ex- sister. So. Big brother, big sister. They give men extra money to be teachers instead of just the, the PE teacher. You know what I'm saying? So that's the problem because most men nowadays aren't men when they have babies. They're boys. And that's the problem. I mean, when you when you say where is that where is that fear? Well, they're not raised with the fear of the father, which means that they're not going to respect the authority, which means that they're going to do more uh, ruthless things out there in the street. Because what is a police officer? 
these authorities. So if they don't have the the fear of the man in the house from the get go, they ain't gonna have the fear of uh, what an authoritative person can do. Therefore, mm-hmm. they're gonna do anything they can do because when the other brother said, uh, uh, "What did you say?" and they got it halfway out of their mouth, and my mother knocked them out or whatever, mm-hmm. but that was that was a sign of authority. So the mothers aren't doing that because they didn't they weren't raised with that. And you know when you when you were raised with all that beating and everything or or spanking, first thing some people make in their mind is I'm not gonna beat my child. Or yeah. they say, or they say, uh, I'm gonna take a different approach. I'm gonna give them time out, quote unquote, and I'm gonna give them a chance to do this, and then I'm gonna result into that. It's almost like that's the last result. But you know, my father, you say, uh, a hard head makes a soft tail. <laughs> you're gonna be hard headed. I'm gonna whoop the crap out of you. You know what I'm saying? Not, you know, just enough to so you understand the fear of God in you or the fear of the authority in, in, in me that, that that I have been given. So things like that. So to ask the question about where's the fear, that's only by an authoritative person. So if it, if they're boys, they're going to have the, the, the mindset to do it. And I'm you know, I said that. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Ike. Go ahead. You know, I think one of the other biggest issues is, especially with black men, is that uh, society as itself, the popular media, you know, social media, news media, they've they've taken away the definition of what it means for, to be a man, especially a black man, and they have uh, degraded that over the years. Oh, they're doing it right now on the news because, uh, man, you, you take that, you take that media degradation along with the fact that now there are women growing that don't know what it means to be a man or never had a real man in their life, and now they have little boys that they only they have to raise as a man. That's why you have what you have now. Mm-hmm. And you tell them, because, see, these women would get together, and and uh, and, and they would say, well, they would try to protect their younger. Let's say you have some older sisters. They'll try, and you have a younger, and you're the youngest, and you grow up around a lot of women. They would try to protect you from your father. And they say, you don't know your father. He'll kill you. And they'll hinder you and take the blame for you just so you wouldn't get in trouble. But not realizing that's affecting your manhood. But going back to what the brother said about spanking, I'm glad he said that because, you know, growing up, you know, both of my parents spanked me, and I probably got enough beatings um, to surpass all of y'all on here combined. Real talk. Um, However, I have three children, and I really don't spank them. But I never said once in my life, you know, before they were born or after they got on the earth, I was I never made the statement. Oh, I'm not gonna spank my child, cause it's always an option, you know. Cause they they get it sometimes, but it's it's got to be real, you know. It's got to be real serious. Like my my oldest, she's ten now, but when she was about three years old, she she broke a window out of my living room, you know, standing on the windowsill, cause the windowsill is about six inches off the ground. So she was climbing up, jumping up, and she cracked my window. So for that, you know, she got a spanking, you know, but at the same time, I think it 
you know, going back to what the brother said, I mean, to make the statement, you know, before a child is birthed into the world that, oh, I'm not going to spank. No, some children need spankings and some don't, you know, and it depends on the child. And uh, But, again, it's still in the arsenal. I haven't, I haven't removed spanking from my arsenal. It's still there. I just may not use it as often as, 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 as some other children, you know, get it or, or some other children need it. And I think that's very important is, is is the assessment as a father. There has to be an assessment made. Every child is different. I have a daughter. You know, when, when, when I even looked at my daughter, she'll start crying. And then she would immediately cease the action. You know, now versus my son, I could tell him, spank him, and he will continue to do the action. So I know pretty much from here on out that they are going to have to be disciplined two different ways. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, I think, you know, the problem is a lot of times fathers, you know what I'm saying, some kind of way we were raised, we were raised where everybody get a beating in the house or nobody get a beating in the house. Our parents may not have taken that time to assess the child to see, okay, maybe maybe you don't, maybe spanking for you isn't what you need. You know, because some children these days, you know, you take their cell phone away from them, God forbid they have one under the age of 18, but if they do, most of them do, you take their cell phone away, that'll hurt them more than ever spanking them. Right. Mm. Yeah. I know I know my dad telling me that if you don't get your grades up, you can't play football, that that crushed me more than anything in the world. Yeah. You know, because every child, you know, every every child is different. You have to find out as a father, you have to find out what does my child love the most. Because you need to know how to get to them on that on that sensitive level, that intimate level. You need to be able to reach them. And sometimes you can you can spank them all you want. You know, and that that may not be enough, um, but sometimes, you know, you can give them a stern conversation. That may not be enough, but if you remove, you know, their PlayStation or something from their room for a week, you know, that, that can shut the whole house down. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I tried that. I tried that. That's spanking there for me into that age of 12 because uh, I remember one time my dad, <clears throat> he was giving it to me, and I grabbed that belt, and I yanked it out of his hand. And I flew, I flew what I thought was a, a good punch. Oh, you're crazy. <laughs> I've never my And manhood came to me real quick. Oh, you man now. You want to swing on somebody. And that's all I remember. That is all I remember, that whole conversation. My dad would bring it up every once in a while. You remember that time you grabbed that belt, didn't you? And I said, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you don't remember what happened afterwards. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but, I mean, that's the thing that we're talking about, that is that accountability of, of, of entering from a boy to manhood is also that time where you and your father really come closer together is, it's just like when you have friends. You sometimes you come closer together after you fight. But <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let, let me ask a question, fellas. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, sometimes, like now, society the way it is today, it kind of limits and tie your hands behind your back because, you know, with the belt catching thing, you know, my dad thought I caught the belt, and I was just merely trying to, you know, just trying to block my behind because he kept hitting this one spot. But when I, when I when I was trying to block it, 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 it you know he thought I he thought I had caught the belt and he had you know he had punched me in my chest and and that was a wrap and that was all it took because you know 
when he hit me in my chest, his hand was so big that it hit like in the in the middle part, like in my stomach. You know, it, it, it took the red out of me. So I'm like, man, that, I, I'm not going. I'm not even gonna put my hand back there no more. But the but the point I'm trying to make now is, if we was to do our kids like that today, uh, the police is on us. As yeah. you know, uh, when I got my divorce, got custody of my kids. I was told by the judge I could not beat them. Wow. So I moved out of the state just so I can. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. I'm not going to be seen in front of this black man anymore, this black coat. No, sir. Yeah, because I told the judge, I said, if I don't beat him, then he's going to be back in front of you in a couple of years robbing, robbing people, and then you're going to ask, the same question, then you're gonna be looking at the parents, and you can't, you can't. So, you know, we just moved right over the bridge to Virginia. Now he's 17, and now we just moved back because you know. But you know, but but the law has a hand, has us handcuffed that we can't discipline them when they won't stick their hands in it and try to get us in trouble. Because you know what happened to Clef Low Dollar? He's going to call the police on him. Yeah. And he said he faked Hollywood with the jail. I'll be out in a minute, and when I come out, that's what's going to happen again. That's right. So how can we see the law enforcement arena? Obviously, uh, there there are a lot of things that are in place, you know, that does restrict parents from doing what, you know, we feel is just as necessary to do for our children. A lot of that is culture, too, because, you know, the laws that are put on the books, a lot of them put on the books, they're not put on the books by African Americans, you know, because if they were, a lot of those laws wouldn't pass. But that, that falls on us, you know, because we we grew up getting disciplined, so that's all we know. You know, but at the same time, you have to ask yourself the question, okay, your child's 14, 15, 16, 17, at what point did we make may have failed when they were younger, that we still have to lay them out at 16 years old and maybe a conversation might now handle the situation. But at the same time, every child, you know, you, you, have, to, you have to discipline a child, and realistically at a certain age, they no longer going to listen anymore. Yeah. They're they going to they stop listening because, you know, they're they, they going to come into themselves, they're going to start smelling themselves. You know, uh, you know, like I said, when, we, when I deal with these, these 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 young men out here in the street now, we call the parents, we call the dad, the mom, we tell the judge, we tell the lawyer. You know, the child needs to be disciplined. You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to do this. You need to do that. And you know, it's it's like going in one ear and out the other, and it can get frustrating because you know the child is 16 now, don't want to listen to anybody, and it's sad the way the system is set up. You already know where their life is heading. So I think as men, we have an obligation, you know, to step in at some point and do something different. But what, at what point do we do we do we cross the lines of the law if the law has us not do certain things because they want to label it child abuse? I mean, it's kind of like taking away our fatherly rights as, yeah. you know, that's what I believe, you know, because when that lady told, stood up and told me, I got a, a eight-year-old and a ten-year-old that I cannot spank them because she thought that they have been through enough trauma, and then that lets their mother know who don't have custody of them that she can tell them, "Have your dad spanked you yet?" and gives her ammunition 
you know, so it's kind of like your hands are tied almost if, you know, if if you want to spank them or if you're trying to raise them, sometimes you can't help but to spank them. I agree. I'm, I'm, I am not disagreeing with. I'm not disagreeing with you at all. And you know, you know, every circumstance, every situation is different. Obviously, you know, if you know, if a judge gave you order, you got to be in compliance with the order. But at the same time, you have rights and privilege as the head of your household to discipline your children. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you have to find a method and a way to do it that is that is legal in your area. Um, to make sure that you don't get in a trick bag, because you're right. You know, women they do that a lot. You know, you know, men go through divorces, whatever situation. You know, and then the woman does everything they possibly can to use for ammunition, either for financial gain, or you know, try to get an edge on getting you know primary custody of the children and stuff like that. You know, but every man has to find a way to discipline their children, because like you said, if you don't, you and I both know, if you don't discipline men, young boys, especially and girls. You know, they will find themselves in a situation, you know, back either before a judge, you know, arrested or, or or pregnant at a young age. You know, my wife does school photography, and she was doing a school in Baltimore, and, you know, she said she had an eighth grader that was pregnant. And I was like, how in the world does an eighth grader get pregnant? Like, it blew my mind. Like, she in the school photo and everything, and it's, it's, it, I, I couldn't even believe it. Well, why you why you say that? I'm gonna go back to our survey. Our survey said earlier because you said you couldn't believe it. I mm-hmm. asked the folks on early on the call. You may not have been on the call at the time. Um, did your father ever talk to you about life, sex, or religion? Mm-hmm. And majority of the people said no. I will I will agree with you. You know because what we when I grew up, you know I grew up in North Carolina. You know when you was in like uh, sixth grade, they sent a letter home and they asked you if your child wanted to take. Sex, sex education class, and mm-hmm. my father and my mother, they signed us up for the sex education class, and, you know, that's where we learn about about uh, sex, and we learn so about, you know. So you'll another step to the side and, and tell you about he sex. Never, he never personally stepped to the side, and we had a, a conversation about sex. Never, never, ever did that, and I, I, I can honestly say he never had a conversation with me about that. My father was a pastor, so there was plenty of opportunities he probably could have could have done it, but, you know, he was one of those guys where he thought as if, you know, if uh, class is being offered, that's something that you could learn. But what I will say is when I was in college, you know, there was one time, you know, I thought I got this girl pregnant, and it came up in conversation at the table. And the next time I came home, my mom would always make the care package. That was the first time in my care package that there was a box of condoms in there. Mm. And it wasn't like it wasn't like my parents was condoning sex by no means. No means were they condoning, but they weren't foolish. They said, "Look, if you're gonna be out there doing this stuff, contrary to what we believe, contrary to how we live, they were taking some proactive measures, giving me protection to make sure that I didn't catch anything or get anybody pregnant." But let me tell you one thing that did. I felt so bad. That my mom went out and bought condoms and put in my care package. I, I don't even think I, I had sex the rest of my time through college because I was embarrassed that my mom, they, they, they were trying to protect me. You know, I was embarrassed that they had to go out and do that for me because of a mistake that I could have possibly made. I was actually embarrassed. Wow. You know, but it was one of those situations where my parents were like, look, we're not going to be foolish parents. 
We're not going to ignore the fact of the matter that you might be drinking, you might be smoking, you might be out there having sex. So instead of being a passive parent and not noticing that you're coming home smelling like smoke, coming home, you know, maybe could have got this girl pregnant, instead of not noticing it, we're going to step in as parents and we're going to do our part and we're going to let you know that we know what you're doing. We may not stop you, but we know what you're doing. And sometimes the embarrassment of a parent knowing what you're doing will it'll change your very behavior. And I think a lot of times what parents see is they know what they, they know what their children are doing, but instead of uh, confronting them and addressing the issue, they let it go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I and I I, I just want to jump in there, and, and thankfully, you know, the result of the the box of condoms in your care package, you know, you have the opposite uh, response rather than. You know, coming back home and say, "Mom, you know, make sure you replenish the the, yeah. the condoms because mm-hmm. I've gone through them." But I will ask this: um, in your care package, did your mom pack uh, marijuana and alcohol as well, along with the condoms? No, mm-hmm. as, you, as you said, you know, it's, it's, you know, you're gonna have sex, you're gonna be out there smoking, drinking. You might try a little dibble dabble. Did she put that in your in your care package? That, and that if not, not, why not? Why not? That that was not put into my care package, you know. Um, you know, my parents, you know, they they weren't drinkers. You know, uh, my dad was uh, smoked a pipe every once in a while, old school. He would go back to back and put it in a pipe. Um, but uh, I'll never forget one time when um, my brother thought he called himself selling drugs. I never understood why people who got successful parents sell drugs, but that's nevertheless. You know, he thought he he came home so high one day that he left a half ounce of weed on the counter. <laughs> wow. And uh and my dad, you know, you know, my parents were those type of parents, if you don't wanna live, if you don't wanna obey their rules and you don't like, you know, eating their food and using their toilet paper, you can go find somewhere else to live. Mm-hmm. And that was one of those situations where he had that, you know, that serious conversation like, look, this will be the last time you know, that you ever bring this up in my house again. Well I'm just gonna call the police. But my older brother came home talking some crazy stuff, my mom was quick to pick up the phone and say, come pick up my son because obviously he don't want to live anymore. Wow. Because they were, they were their type of parents, you know, they you know, because they felt like they worked hard, they provided for us, and we wasn't going to disrespect them in their own home. But to answer your question, in my care package, no, none of that stuff was given. You know, my mom would tell us, if you're going to go to school and drink and you get kicked out and you flunked out, you're going into the Army, or you coming home, you getting a job, you know, we don't want to hear it because we're spending our money. You know, if you, if you get a DUI, you get locked up while driving your car, we're not bailing you out, we're not paying for an attorney, we're not putting our house up for you to get out. You have to just go through because they were firm believers of, you know, if you get into a, a situation that you know better, then you're going to have to go through. And I deal with a lot of parents now, but... No, no, you, 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 you said something profound, and I want to just ask you. You said uh, your mother told you. My mom. That you. See, mine was different. In my manhood growing up, my dad, we and him had a conversation because um, he started seeing me go left <clears throat> a little bit. Mm-hmm. And his conversation was, listen, you, you, you're getting to the age where you're a black man. My dad worked in the prison system. Mm-hmm. So one day he took me to prison. And and what and watched me work around behind the bars, and mm-hmm. then he he set me up and put me behind one of those bars and left me there all day. And then he let me play ball with the guys and everything, and so I thought it was fun until 
he left the room and says, I'll be back, and then never came back because every door you go behind, you, the door shut. Mm-hmm. And so that freaked me out about prison. But my dad, then he told me, he, he, he explained to me the reason why. He says, you will never be in here because I will not allow it. And then he told me, but you, you have only two choices once you turn 18. He didn't give me a third choice. He said, I either go into college that he go pay for, or I was going to the military. He never told me I can go get a job because he, he felt like the people in here, they got that message that when you leave the home, you got to go get a job. And then most of them were back either at their mom's house, or, you know, but he said, you're never coming back here. Wow. And, and so, and that was business. That, yep. that, I mean, that goes back to my military direct dad days, you know, is that he told me you got two options, not no three. Because three of you going to be in here, then I'm going to have to beat your butt in front of all these boys because this is not where you want to be. And so my question is now, you know, now we were given those options when we came out of school or whatnot. So when you take the average household now, you know, who or is that same option given to the children these days? I would say no, because if it was, we would have more people in the military or more people in, in, in school. That's well, it's the option in my house. It's live yeah. and well in my house. <laughs> but because, but I, I think what I think what happens is you know because you guys like the baby boomer generation who had all that pressure on them and you know they had all that you gonna go to school because if you don't you ain't gonna be able to make it you are gonna get a job because you ain't gonna be able to make it. you gonna you gonna go to the military because you know you gonna be able to make it and I think because of all that pressure and all that success that you know that baby boomer generation had they when they had children they didn't want to put that same pressure on their children. So they gave their children the opportunity to be a little, have a little more freedom. Gave them options. Gave they, they, children they, they, they gave them more. They gave them more options. You know, they said, "Well, I had to work when I was fourteen, so I don't want you to have to work when you're fourteen. You know, I had to work hard. I had to work hard to get these this outfit. I don't want you to have to work hard like that. You know, I had to work my way through college, but when you go to college, I'm gonna pay your way through. You know, but see, all of that, you know, the, the discipline that that baby Jewish generation had." They never passed it on to their children because they thought they were punishing their children. Mm-hmm. Well, it wasn't that they were. It wasn't well, that they were punishing their children. A little spin on that because I tell you now, my son, ever since he was fourteen, uh, he's been working and he paid for all his clothes and he go to school and he can't get a loan and we ain't paying for it. Because mm-hmm. now they want the parents to sign for the loan and we ain't signing for nothing. Yeah, yeah. See, in that in that mindset right there, it it it. it, it Grows them up and, and gives them that personal uh, responsibility. So I'm, I'm going to believe now, I mean, I'm only 31, and I think, you know, one of the major problems we have with, you know, young men and young women is, in, in my age category, is, you know, the lack of accountability. There's zero yes. accountability. Yes. No, no, nobody is accountable for anything. You, you, you bless your children with a car, they crash their car, you buy them another one. Yep. <laughs> you, you bomb. Yep. You bomb. You bomb. Cell phone. You crack the screen. You bomb another. You bomb another screen. There's no accountability at all. Mm-hmm. And you talk you know, about generations. You know, you, you know, with. I think that this is probably you know our generation, um, 
and the next generation we're raising. I think that this is probably the first time where they're going to be worse off than us because you look at yes. our parents. I'm I'm better off than my parents were, and I'm only 35. You know where they were at 35. I mean, much. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got a college degree. I got a couple certifications. You know, under my belt. You know, um, and you know, I was uh, I, I, I'm light years ahead of where they were at this stage in their life, and they're doing fine now. But at the same time, it's like you look at as the next generation is coming up, they're going to be worse off because, as the brother said, it's it's it's, it's no accountability and it's an entitlement. Like, I'm 10 years old. All of my classmates have an iPhone. I should have an mm-hmm. iPhone. Exactly. But stop right there, Rodney. I got to ask you a question. Yes, sir. To, to rewind it back. You mm-hmm. said you're better off right now Yes. than when your, par- your parents were at the same age in the same year you're married. Yes. Are you sure about that in their Positive. marriage? Positive. Positive. You don't think they had to fight harder or stress harder as a husband and wife? Than you do right now. They do. That's why I say I'm better off. Cause I, it's no, you know, we talked about last week. It's no drama, you know, in my marriage. It's none of that. What they, they, they unfortunately did have a lot of that, you know, especially in in their, you know, the beginning, um, you know, stages of their marriage. So, you know, absolutely, no, no, no question, no question, no question. But that's again going back to what I said. That's how they raise they raised me to be better, you know, versus. You know, I was spoiled. I was a baby, but I did work. You know, I did have to, you know, uh, pay my own way to a certain extent. Everything wasn't uh, just handed down to me. Um, some would be. That, that's debatable for some folks. But um, but at the same token, they wanted me to, you know, have some, some, some initiative for myself. Go ahead, Ike. Hey, Rodney, just to give you an idea of my dad's insight, he used to sit me down and my little brother used to laugh at him because, you know, he didn't. He didn't write very well, and he didn't. And he took his time reading. He didn't. He didn't read very fast. And so he would tell me. He would sit me beside him, and he would say, "You know, you, in order for you to be where I am at the age that I am now, you will have to read seven times as fast as I read, write seven times as fast as I write, and think seven times as fast as I think." He said, "In order for you to pass me, you got to be fourteen times better than me in all these categories." And he said, "Right now, I'm running rings around." Mm-hmm. And, and that's just kind of stuff he would just lay on me. Yeah. And right now, at my age, compared to where he was at his age, when he was my age, yeah, I'm doing better than him. Mm-hmm. But well, I want to. Right now, we're right where we're supposed to be. So I want to roll this back into what our topic is tonight. And um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, can my father be the cause of my marriage problems? And we talked about the accountability. So I got I want y'all to finish some questions for me. Um and then if you have any that you want to add in, please do it anytime. All right. I want to find out are you and your dad different in many ways? The way you're in your marriage right now versus the way he was at this point in your marriage right now. Um, my dad was never home. He worked a lot. I find myself doing, and I need everybody to uh, finish that sentence. My dad was never home. He worked a lot. I find myself doing what? Anybody? Working. You find yourself well, my- doing the same thing? Or- same thing. Yeah, 
I, I, I don't, but I want to I wanna start where you said, Mr. Host, because you said that your father was never home. And I know that you, 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 you know, I, I know you personally. I know that, you know, I, I see, I seen you this weekend working on Saturday, and you got the regular Monday through Friday, and you pick up the, you got the gigs going on Saturday, and on Sundays, we know that you, you know, you, 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 you don't just come and sit in the pews on Sunday. You, you have responsibilities and, and things to do even on Sunday. So it's almost like a another part time. I got some papers or something. That was me. Part- I'm sorry. That was oh, me. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, you, you even got essentially a part time on Sunday mornings, um, you know, as well. And, you know, looking at that, because you just stated that your father, you know, was, you know, he worked hard, he, you know, doing this, doing that. Mm-hmm. How has that caused, you know, problems in your marriage? That the fact that your father. Was 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 working, never home. Whereas now you, in 2013, you're kind, you're almost the same way, where you're never home. But I yeah. think, I think Rodney, I think uh, I, I've seen Pete um, Town this weekend too, and 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 every time I see him, little man is seeing his work ethic. I think it's the difference between the way our fathers work and the way we work, or the way he works, because. Little man is gearing up to take over the business. Little man is looking at his daddy working, you know, going from, you know, doing whatever he do, and he's spending a lot of time with him, even though he's doing his his, his jobs, and he 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 dragging little man right along there with him. Right, and I, I'll agree with you. I'll agree with you, but what's well, the topic to answer your question, eating? yeah, what's the yeah, topic of the evening? The answer, but to answer your question, I am doing this. My wife will tell you my. I am doing the exact same thing my dad did to me. When he went to the prison, like he had to go on Saturdays and then, I went with him. I sat in the office. I just watched him. He's a doctor, so, you know, he did. He was the medical doctor at all the prisons. He worked for the state. Um, when he, he also owned property, rental property. So when we have to go, I would go with him and help him cut grass on the weekends. Um just like you um, and your son. Just like me and my son right now at the same age. Um, the only thing that he does different than I is on Sunday. But my dad, like now, he still has three jobs. He volunteers at the church, I mean, at the uh, at the uh, homeless shelters or at, in the evening, and he still part-time goes to the jails and, and does his job, even though he's retired from the prison system. He works for the county and the state. Um, jail system. He'll go in and he'll be on call. And what, um, what I'm saying is, but that on I, Sunday, I, but on Sunday, I always recall we were Presbyterian going up. My um, um, that's what we were. And one day there was this huge argument. We were sitting in the car, me and my sister, in the blue station wagon. And my dad, he would always make sure we go to church on time. We there Sunday school, and my mom. But they had an argument while we were in the car. And my mama ended up driving, and my dad never went to church after that. Wow. <laughs> wow. Cold turkey. To this day. He, now, his new wife, my, my stepmom, he may, might get him to go to church every once in a while. But till that, that was the last day I ever seen my dad 
unless it's a special event for us or something, somebody getting walking on Sunday on the church. He would go and play tennis. And growing up, he liked playing sports, and we would go fishing. There would be arguments because he would want to go do that, and I would want to go with him. And he and my mom would have arguments because she wants me to go to church. And, it's funny. and I'm like, I want to go fishing with my daddy. <laughs> it's funny you say that because today I'm kind of in the same situation. Now, you know, growing up, my mother took my older brother and I to church. It was the three of us. Now, my dad was home. He did not work on Sundays. But he would he would go to Bedside Baptist. Um, and my father does know God, and he, he probably reads his Bible more than I do on a weekly basis, real talk. Um, however... During the, the course of my adolescence, you know, it was just me, my brother, and my, and my mom. And then when my brother went off to college, it was just me and my mom on Sunday morning. And my mother is very active in the church, still is today. And my father would come on Mother's Day, Christmas, Easter, you know, those sort of things. And then around the time where I got to high school, this guy literally started going full-time one day. It was it was just like, it wasn't a ho- I don't know if he started going on a holiday and just kept going, or it was just one Sunday he just got his suit on and just started, you know, started going. Um, you know, so, and I was like, what, what, what you doing? You know, what's going on? Go ahead. Somebody had a question. No, I, think, I think one of the, and, and, and I'm glad you brought that up, because I think one of the issues that happens a lot is, you do have, like, I would have been in the church. Everybody knows, you know, most churches are, statistically speaking, anywhere between 70 and 80% women. And that doesn't say those women aren't married. It's just, you know, women by nature most of the time have a tendency to go to church. And like you said, it's not because the man is not able to go to church. It's because, you know, again, I think that comes down to, you know, uh, accountability or the lack of responsibility of wanting to go to church to do something, you know, to feed themselves spiritually, and I think a lot of things what happens is as, as, a, as a child, you grow up and you see a dad not going to church, and you grow up and say, well, you know, I'm not going to go to church neither. And mm-hmm. church, to, church to me plays, you know, an, a role in raising children, plays a central role in having a, a good marriage because, you know, and people say, well, you know, because nowhere in the Bible does it say you have to go to church. It doesn't. I've read it multiple times. Never says that. All it says is that we shouldn't forsake the assembly. But it never says you have to go to church. It doesn't say that. It just says you shouldn't forsake the, the assembly. So that, that's the line people use. I always ask the question is, well, what harm is it in going to church and doing something to make your marriage better? Uh, offer other um, avenues for your children to to hang out with people that think like they think. Because you can't get upset at your child if you grow up listening to, you know, hip-hop music all his life, and then he go up and want to be be a rapper, you can't get mad at him if you never expose him to nothing else. Because mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm going to believe is, you know, you can either brainwash your children, you know, one way, or the world will surely brainwash them another way. So as long as they're under our care and guidance as fathers, I think we have a, a responsibility and a due diligence to at least, Give them exposure. That's what my dad did. He was a pastor. He was all about church, all that. But one thing he never did, 
He never made us do anything church-related. All he said was, I want to expose you to it. And then, you know, when you get to the point and feel like you want to be involved, you want to be a part, you know, then he, they then they would constantly pray. And then it, it, it took a little while for us, but we finally got to the point, you know, the church became a part of our life. You know, that's all I want to do with my children, to get them involved. But it was just simply because he didn't make us do anything. He just exposed us to it. And just that simple exposure, you know, it, it kindled a fire later on in life. Sometimes you may not see it until you're 16, 17, 18, 20 years old. But it, it kindled a fire later on in life simply because of that exposure. Yeah. That exposure. And, and, and that's, that's, that's true fact because um, that's how it was when it came to my dad and work and the way I am now, you know. And, um and when we talk about generational gap, which we will also continue to talk about later, um, my dad, you know, his a lot of my my uncles were first, you know, one of the first blacks to be a warden at a, at a prison in the state of North Carolina. You know, uh, first sheriff in the state of North Carolina was one of my uncles that was black. So, um we always worked, and even on my mom's side, we always worked. So that work ethic just came naturally. Um, but did anybody do anything opposite? Because their dad worked so much, they didn't feel they, they that they should uh, do that. They shouldn't work as hard as he did. Yeah, I, I did the um, opposite because um, because I didn't spend a lot of time with him. I found myself not trying to. Um, spent a lot of time with my kids at first. You know, I, I found myself not wanting to really get involved because I'm thinking that that's the, the woman's or the wife's job. And um, and just come to me with the problems, come to me when they get out of hand, I slap them upside the head and things going to get back in line. And that's the kind of raising that we had, you know, just, you know, only call him for the big stuff and, and or the things that mama can't handle. And then not until later on, we got into our life where he started kind of sitting us down at the table. And then um, after that was all over, I was like, well, dang, he should have been sitting us at the table like a long time ago. And, you know, we, then I would I would feel like I would want to listen to him. So I kind of like, I said, okay, I'm going to start talking to my kids at an early age. And, uh, and I've been talking to them so much, but... I'm like, well, dang, you know, I wish I would have seen what kind of effect it would have had because I don't know if this going to have a good effect or a bad effect because every, at the moment it seems like it's a bad effect. But then, you know, I know it's going to, you know, something good is going to turn out. Of, you know, they don't want to hear. They want to just go with their friends. You know, I want to hang around this person, that person. I want to go here and there without no kind of echoing of, you know, what the result is going to be. And I'm trying to teach it to him. And I'm like, dang, I wish I had something to reflect back on when when me and, when my dad was been talking to me about this particular issue and how it made me feel. But in that, that conversation never took place. So I'm, I'm battling more so than just allowing them to just walk it out. You know what I mean? Well, it, it's, it's a lot of times the philosophy in today's society is that experience it's the best teacher. I don't agree with that because you don't want to have the experience going to jail and know you don't want to go again. You know, well, you, 
at first that you know how now you don't want to go, and then you kind of like kind of. I mean, what I found myself had to do, I just had to finally put my hands up and say, okay, I'm going, I'm going to tell you the right way, because now I got to rely on the Bible, and the Bible says, show them the way that they should go, so they won't stray far. I mean, that means they they're going to stray, but hopefully they find themselves back where they're supposed to be, so it won't land them something like hell. Because as a father, all we can do as a father is we can give them the truth. We can put it in them, it's, you know, and then and then you at that point, you know, you using the Bible to represent, all we can do is depend on Scripture. If the Bible tells me that if I raise them up in the way they should go, it didn't say they won't go that way. Our job is to show them the way they should go. Now, they still have to make a choice because they, they, they have their own will, they have their own mindset. But we, our job is to raise them in the way they should go, not the way that we want them to go, but the way they should go, and then they have to make a decision at some point in time in their life, hey, am I going to choose the way to, to go the way that I've been taught or am I going to choose to go another way? But if, you've ne- if, if, a, if a child has never been taught to go another way, then how does he know what to do? And I think fathers, and you know, we, we lack sometimes in teaching them the way they should go because we say, well, you know, I don't have all the answers, you know, um, I... I don't have the best knowledge on this subject matter, you know. But at the end of the day, we're not, we're not superheroes. We, we don't know everything. But what we do have with technology, we have plenty of resources. We have, if we don't know a lot about peer pressure, we need to go online and go to Google, type in peer pressure. It's going to give you 10, 20 different ways to talk to your child about peer pressure. If we don't know about depression or oppression, I've run into so many children to come to the church and I can look in their eyes and I can see that they're depressed, they're oppressed, and, and their mom and dad are smiling at them. I'm telling the parents, look, your child is going through a state of depression. You need to talk to them. You need to see what's going on. It's because we think that we're not equipped to deal with our children, but we have to make a way. We have to deal with them. If we take the effort to have children, we have to take that extra effort to try to deal with them, to get them through to that next level, to help them out. And it's like you said, you know, you wish that your dad had sat down and talked to you talk to you a little more so you can have some type of reference point on how you can guide your children. But you might not always have a reference point. And sometimes that is where the church comes in. That is where your pastor comes in or where the Bible comes in because sometimes that's the only reference point that you have. And and I think you have to tell your children the truth. Look, son, look, daughter, I don't know everything, you know, but I can clearly see that we have a problem going on here. You know, it looks like you may have some peer pressure in school, so let's talk this thing out. Let's work it out together. Because we don't know everything, but just because we don't know everything doesn't mean we still can't address the issue. Right. So, so I mean, that brings up a good point. But if there's um, – we talked about earlier in the call for the folks that weren't there about visual. We learn a lot from our father because one of the questions that we asked was, how do you communicate with your father? And, and a lot of people say – their father communicated with them through their actions, through their actions. So if your dad was negative towards your mom or if your dad was a drinker, he would come home and get totally wasted. What effect would that, did that do to you? Well, statistically speaking, most fathers who abuse their wives and have sons, their sons abuse their wives. Wow. Because men learn by action. That's just, that's over just facts. Yeah. Most smokers, most parents who smoke, 
their children smoke. Most parents who drink, their children drink because it's just the statistics and genetics because when a man and a woman come together and they make this child, you know, the character traits are, are within that child. Now, now what happens is, you know, they have, they'll come some point in time in that child's life when a parent can lead them the right way or the wrong way. But if a, if a son sees his dad and his mom smoke all their life, more than likely they're going to smoke at some point in time. You know, men who beat their wives, their children grow up and beat their wives. That's why it's so important that, that, the, that, the, that the male seed has to make another type of impression. Even though we may have grew up around our parents and they may not have been the best parents, but when we decide to get married or to have children, whatever the case may be, is we have to make a choice, okay, look, I'm going to do this a little different than my parents did. That's the only way we can change a mindset, change thinking, because if we continue to do stuff the same way, generation after generation after generation, the results are going to be the same. But at some point in time, one man has to say, okay, look, I'm going to change the way my family is. I'm, all my uncles drank, you know, all my uncles were womenizers, they were pimps and hustlers and sold drugs. But one man has to say, look, I ain't going to be like that. I'm going to have a son. He's not going to be like that. You know, it's going to take some courage, going to lose some family members, going to lose some friends. Everybody's not going to agree with you. But that's just the nature of life. People who make changes and do stuff different make sacrifices. And a lot of times those sacrifices are personal gain, family members and friends. But in order to make a change in a culture and in a mindset, you know, someone has to say, okay, look, I'm going to do things a little different. Hmm. So, so knowing what the divorce rate is and how bad it's gotten, um, I'm going to throw a question out there since we're going to tie this thing back to marriage. Um, when men see their fathers love and cherish their wife, do those same men do the same thing when they get married? I, I can only speak for me personally. You know, I can say, yes, my father and my mom, you know, they – all I saw with them was, was love, and all I saw in them was peace. So when I decided to get married, me and my wife, we made we made a decision between one another because her parents, when she grew up, you know, they had some debates, and, she, you know, she would share with me that they fussed and stuff like that, and we made a decision, you know, when we get married, we want to have a household of peace. Yeah. And, and to this day, we've been married six years. We, we, make it, we, we make every effort possible to keep a household of peace. Now, a lot of times that means, as a man, I have to drop my pride. I can't be arrogant. I have to stay humble because a lot of situations, I know I'm right, but it just ain't the time to address it because it might lead to something else. But I've made a personal decision with myself that every situation doesn't have to be handled immediately. Sometimes it may take a day or two for my wife to cool off, and then I have to address it later. But I only do that so my house can be a house of peace. Because I like, I like a lot of people like to work late, stay at their job late, because they don't want to go home. I'm yep. trying to get off work early so I can go home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so my house, my house is my house is, is is the place of peace. I'm trying to get there. I can't wait to get home because I know when I get home, it's gonna be a house of peace. I know the dishes gonna be in the dishwasher, the kids' toys gonna be picked up. You know, I know the house is gonna be looking neat. Why? Because we have an understanding that we like to keep stuff in order. Because my wife knows me, 
that if I come home and put the dishes in the sink and the house dirty, I'm going to have something to say in the morning. But these are the conversations we have so we can keep the peace in the house. And in there, some night she come home, she tired, she may have had the kids, she'll leave me a little note. Sorry, I didn't get to the dishes. I didn't get to continue to clean the table. The kids were kind of loud at night, rough at night. Cool, I accept that because at least she let me know what's going on in the house. It's all about peace. But tying it together with, with observing a husband and a wife or your mother and father having love in their relationship, I think that does transcend to other couples, you know, who have a healthy relationship. It's something that they have observed because as humans, we most of the time we do stuff because of, of observed behavior. If we have observed a, a, a relationship that flourished, that was successful, been married 20, 30 years, you know, we learn that behavior. So when we get married, we want to have a relationship like that. Because to me, my parents never got divorced. So in my mindset, divorce is not even an option for me. You know, now, I don't, I don't, I don't even consider divorce as an option because I never, I, I've never experienced that, and I never observed that. So therefore, that's something I never want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I said earlier, I think when, uh, when the host was asking his, uh, taking his poll uh, about how long our parents have been married, mine have been forty plus years. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot with them while I was growing up that made me think that they should have separated at some point with the arguments and the abuse and the the drunkenness and the cheating. The whole nine yards, they did it. They did it all. Um, so I got, you know, became of age, got married, um, tried it for a while. I think I stayed in it longer than I should have, but I stayed in it because... You know, my parents had stayed together through all of that. So in the back of my mind, I was like, well, you know, i got to hang in there because that's just the way my parents did it. Um, but, you know, it, it comes to a point where you just can't do it anymore, and that's the situation I had. So anyway, I got divorced, and my father was no help. Not that he didn't want to help. Well, I'm not sure whether he did or not, but he couldn't. There was nothing he could say to me. There was nothing he could say to me in reference to, well, I understand what you're going through because he didn't. There was nothing that he could say to me in reference to, well, let's try this. Let's try something else. It was total blank darkness from him. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, the point I'm making, I understand that the parents, you know, will set an example of divorce is not an option. But one of my one of my driving factors of me getting divorced is I said I cannot have the relationship that they had and staying together just because. Mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's a generational thing too. Yeah. You know, um, like you said, because twenty, thirty years, forty years ago, those couples that stayed together, those married that stayed together, stayed together for forty, fifty, sixty years, they went through a lot. They went yeah. through the cheating drinking, the smoking, the getting high, the woman out of the pimping, the husband. They went through all of that. But sure. the women were different then. See, women then, you know, they would stay with their husband no matter what. They could know their husband is sleeping with the guy across the street. But, and they would stay with They would stick it out. And I think, like you said, over time, divorce has become easier. Yeah. You know, it, 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 it becomes 
so second nature because of like Hollywood and just society and all things being equal. If the marriage is just shambles, you've done all you can do, there's abuse, it ain't working, you know, you got to do what you have to do because that's just the nature of life. Nothing is perfect. Sure. You know, um, but I think the fight in marriages has changed because you have to fight for your marriage. You have to to fight to keep your husband. You have to fight to keep your wife. You know, they they, they have to be, I'm saying, because your marriage is, marriage is life. And you have to feed your marriage. I think a lot of times people get married, and they they think marriage is supposed to supposed to live and survive on its own. But marriage has to be fed like an organism. It has to be fed love. It has to be fed joy. It has to be fed encouragement all the time. Because if you don't, it's just like anything else. A, a marriage is like a flower. If you don't put any water to it, eventually it will shrivel up and die. That's just the nature of it. Because marriage is marriage is life. It's life, and when you add other aspects to it, you add children to it, all you're doing is adding more life to that marriage. And the more you add to a marriage, the more you have to put into it. You buy a bigger house, you got to put more into it. You buy, you get more children, you got to put more into your marriage. You get a bigger car, you got to put more into your marriage. Why? Because you got you got to work more hours. You got to get a better job. Now you're not home as much. You got to put more into your marriage because you decide to get a bigger house. You decide to get a bigger car. Mm. Every time now, you said something. Oh, preaching. Oh, hold on, hold on, Pete. Down. He, he, I, I don't, I don't know if y'all heard, are hearing this. He <laughs> preaching right now. And I'm so glad. I'm so glad you called in, brother. I don't know you. I'm so glad you called in. You said something so key that I think a lot of people, including women, haven't figured out yet. You said you have to fight for your marriage. Mm-hmm. That it's just not going to come. And I think when we get into a situation and it just don't come correctly, we're like, oh, well, you know what I mean? Let me just complain some more. Instead of figuring out the things to do to fight for that thing. You know what I'm saying? When you find out you got cancer, you're going to fight. You're going to do everything you got to do to fight and get well. Whatever the doctor tells you to do, that's what you're going to do. You'll take the meds. You'll go to your appointments. You'll go to your radiation. You'll do everything you need to do. But we don't put that same fight into marriage now. We just think, well, they ain't doing what I want them to do, so let me just go ahead and do something else. Man, mm. I appreciate those words. Those are good words. Go ahead, Peter. Oh, man. I was getting ready to say the exact same thing, but you also said something profound in that that statement of generational gap, because, you know, how far does this go back when we talk about generational gap? Is your father only doing what his father did and what his father did? Is it a traditional gap, not a really – are we just following in suit with what our, our family tree is? Or what if he didn't have a father? What if, what if he didn't have a father or doesn't know his father? So how can he follow in, in any anybody's footsteps if he, you know, he, he he's the beginning, you know? And that brings up another good question: Is that did your father communicate his 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 generational past or how things were back in the day? My father told me about my grandfather and my step grandfather, so I kind of knew the background. But did, does everybody get that type of background information? I, I would say no. I would say everybody doesn't get that background knowledge, you know, because a lot of times, like you know. You know, uh, our parents, 
you know, they, they had a, they, they, they hid a lot of stuff. They didn't tell us a lot of stuff. They didn't, they didn't tell us that Granddaddy beat Grandma for 20 years. We mm. found out. We found out. We found out later. Mm-hmm. They, they, they didn't tell us that, that, that your uncle molested your niece for 10 years. They never told us that type of stuff. They kept everything a secret. Mm. And because they kept stuff as a secret, it, 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 see, when you keep stuff as a secret and then they have children and they have children, it's in the, it's in the bloodline. But because nobody addressed it early on, it, it manifests itself later on in life, 10, 20 years later. Like you take homosexuality, for example. Homosexuality is not new. It's been, <laughs> it's been, it's been in the bloodline for decades. It's mm. just now it has manifested itself to the forefront of life. But it's always been there. All of us have had somebody in our family 20, 30 years ago that we knew was kind of funny. But nobody said anything, then they turn around and had children. And now what we have now, we have laws on the books that say, okay, this is now a way of life. It's acceptable now. It's acceptable now. But it, it's not a surprise. It's not a shock because it's always been there. It's just, you know, our, our parents and grandparents, they hid stuff. And when they hid stuff, all they did was it, it, it messed us up when we got older. It messed us mm. up because we, we didn't, we didn't, they never handled it then. You know, grandma never handled it then. And then mom and dad don't handle it now. And then nobody never talked about it. And then what happens is, you know, somebody goes out and robs a bank, and then they sit up in court, and mom gets on the stand and testifies and say, well, you know, he always, you know, was a bad kid. You know, we just thought he was going through a phase. He always did steal from the store, but... We never knew that. We never thought that he would actually harm anybody. We just let it go. We we, we thought he would grow out of it. You know, we, we, we trying to let nature run its natural course, but at some point, as a man or as a mother and a father as a household or a marriage, you got to step in and say something. Somebody has to say something. Yeah. 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 But who's going to say it? Because if you're... If you're too, let's just be honest. Um, before you got married, did you ever talk to your dad about marriage and what the meaning of marriage was about marriage? Before me you got married, yeah. Me personally, anybody yes. on the call? Yes, yes, I, I, I did. I, I talked to him. I, talk, I, you know, I asked him, you know, what marriage was about. What was the meaning of marriage? You know, naturally and spiritually, because marriage does have two, two principles to it. There's a natural side of marriage when you actually get married and you go down the aisle and get married. The spiritual side to that is God recognizes your union and he actually becomes called you one. And at that point, what happens is the father of that of that daughter, the authority from that father transfers to her husband. And now the husband becomes the primary authority over that wife, spiritually speaking. There's a lot more than just standing there at the altar. If that was the case, you wouldn't... You would need a, a priest to marry you because God wouldn't have to be involved. But the fact of the matter that you need a minister to marry you is because God is involved in the union. And see, what happens is when men marry a woman, they don't understand that the authority that the father had over that over his daughter is now transferred to you as a husband. So now when I go to God and I pray on behalf of my wife, I have the utmost forefront of God's mind because now I am the covering 
over my wife, he's going to hear my prayer about my wife. Most men don't pray about their wife. Your wife tripping, what we do? We fuss at her. Instead of going to God and say, okay, God, look, this is my wife. I married her. We are one. She's supposed to be putting me on as a husband. She ain't listening to anything I got to do. Most men don't pray. They don't go to God. They don't talk to God. But but when you got married, God was there. He ordained the marriage. Now you got problems. Who we go to? We go to our boy. Or we go to our parents. We we go to our friends. Instead of going to the person that you married or going to God who ordained the marriage, we find another source to go to. Instead of going to the source, because God is going to hear the prayer of that husband because he's the authority over that woman. That's the way God set the system up. I can't change it. Nobody else can't change it. People might not agree with agree with it. They might disagree with it. But the fact of the matter is, since the authority is in the man, when you go to God and say, look, God, I need you to help me out with my marriage, he's going to do his part. What we have to do is we got to do our part. It's funny. Somebody was talking about the hidden secrets um, back from the past and how stuff was swept under the rug. Um, I'm dealing with stuff like that in my family right now, that stuff that was done um, by by relatives that are long dead because stuff wasn't pulled up. Um, there's destruction in the family today, 30, 40 years later. Lots of secrets. Yep. Secrets that, secrets that were buried, secrets that, that no one ever brought up. That's and, right. And, 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 and I'm not saying that, you know, if stuff has been buried and the hatch has been buried, that, that's different. But, the, you know, things have to be have to be discussed because it, 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 eventually, it eventually it will come out. You know, Scripture says that which is in the dark will eventually come to the light. It's just a principle. That's it's right. Eventually, it, eventually it's going to come to the light. It may not happen in my lifetime, but if, if, if I beat my wife and I never tell my son, Essentially, he's going to find out. Yeah. Some way, somehow, eventually, he he's going to find some police, some police report later on. He's going to, somebody with him, somehow it's going to come out. Because whatever's in the dark, in due time, it will come to the light. That's why we have to be very careful what we do in the dark, especially when it comes to our marriage. You know, we, we can't be doing stuff in the dark behind our wife's back. Because eventually, they're going to find out. It's a matter of time. It's a matter of time. You know, they, and sometimes women, women, they know stuff and never say anything. But they know, but they don't say anything. That's why it, 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 in order to keep strong marriages, you know, you have to keep things on the up, on the up and up. Communication, good, honest communication. Yeah. Communication is everything. You know, most of the time a marriage fails. When people come in to counseling, they come to the church, they come up to counseling, and they got and they got the husband and wife in there. The first thing we ask them is, you know, um, we usually bring the husband in and we get his side of the story, bring the wife in, get her side of the story, then we bring them in together, and we got two different stories. Which tells me that neither one of y'all had a conversation before you decided to come in and talk to and talk to the pastor or myself and Mrs. Y'all y'all haven't even talked yet. You've been married for fifteen years and you didn't even sit down and have a conversation about the problem that you say you have it. So so what you're saying is they need to get their story straight before they come in there. 
they either need to get the the storage safe when they come in there, or at some point, because there are times that you might have a you might have a, a conflict with your husband or, or, or with your wife, or whatever it may be, and sometimes you might not be able to find a solution. Then you may need you know some pastoral counseling, or may need some assistance or some or some some guidance from a seasoned marriage, something like that. That's cool. But most of the time, what I found, most of the time, when the husband and the wife find a neutral location. Make sure the kids are asleep, phone ain't ringing, you ain't texting, you ain't emailing, you know, you ain't watching the game over her head, behind her head. You're sitting down at the table, and you have a piece of paper or pen, and you say, okay, hon, this is the problem, what's going on? Okay, hon, the problem is this. Every time I go into the bank account, it looks like you spent $80 on fast food this week. This is a problem because we're trying to get a budget going, and you keep chilling the budget because you got a problem like to buy jerseys and hats all the time. We need to work this thing out. Black and white. And it ain't, it ain't no magic to it. It's black and white. If a coach has a problem with his player, he pulls his player to the side and says, listen here, Kobe, you need to pass the ball. We're going to lose. He don't, he, don't, he don't ignore the problem. When you ignore the problem, then that's when you get yourself an Allen Iverson who got 40 points and one assist. And now he at home. Wow. You know, you said something that was something. You said if a coach, would that coach be your father if he sees you messing up in your marriage because he pulled you aside? That is that that can be that that can be how I go. Like, well, my father personally has passed away. He never got an opportunity to see me married. I I got married and had children after he had passed away. But mm-hmm. watching, but watching him with my mom and raising us taught me that if there's a problem, he's always he's always with a, a firm belief of if, if you give somebody an opportunity, they can get it right. If you, get, if you just give them an opportunity, to get it, they, they can get it right. And if there's a problem, instead of him tearing uh, us down as children or tearing my mom down or whatever it may be, he brought us in and said, okay, well, look, this is the problem. Look, the fucking math class. This is the problem. What can we do so you can stop flunking math class? And then you sit down like, oh, I don't know, Dad. Maybe I need to study a little more. Okay, write that down. We need to study a little more. Or, you know, maybe I can use a tutor. Maybe you can use a tutor. Yeah. And then what he, what he did was he would, what, what you did was you basically counseled yourself on what you needed to do. And it's just like marriage. When you sit down with your wife, sit down and be like, okay, look, we need to fix this budget. What's going on? Well, I do eat out a lot, you know. Okay, you write that down. We eating out too much, and you basically count. You're counseling yourself. You're fixing the problem yourself. But that all starts with a conversation. So, if so, you want to fix your problem, you gotta you gotta talk about it. So let me ask the question because I think that um, marriage counseling and marriage the numbers are down mm-hmm. because you know we talk about marriage maintenance a lot on these calls. We talk about bringing in a third party. Um, and the marriage counseling numbers got to be down because the divorce rate is up. Um, did our fathers exhibit that? Because we also talked about, you know, there were a lot of secrets going on growing up. A lot of secrets, a lot of family members lunching out. We never heard about it till we were grown because they kept a lot of secrets. So while the parents are keeping secrets, they're also hiding the marriage problems. If they weren't out in the open with their marriage issues, because a lot of times we do see it, 
Can't hide that. Can't hide the unhappiness and the lack of hugs and kisses in the house. Mm-hmm. They'll see that. But when when they're hiding the the marriage issue itself, okay, and now there's nobody going to get help. Like the father and the mother's not going to counseling. Right? They're not. So 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 when when we get into a jam in our marriage, is it something that we say, you know what, my father ain't never gonna see no counselor, I ain't gonna go see no counselor, even though you generally need the help. I agree. Well, in the, in the African American community, my mom was a um, social worker for thirty years, and and in the African American community, most men and women they don't see counsel. Counsel is the last thing they see. You know why? Because we because we think we know everything. Mm-hmm. White people or Caucasian people, they will go to see a psychiatrist in a minute. Yeah. In a minute, yeah. they'll go. They 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 go lay on the couch and they'll tell somebody all their problems. But as African Americans, we feel like I don't need your help. I don't need you to count me. And now you you four thousand dollars in debt and and you're about to lose your house, you're about to lose your car, you're about to lose your drawers on your on your backside. But you don't need any financial counseling that's free. That the church may offer for free or a community center may offer for free. We would rather swim. In our marital problems, then seek some help. So, do you mm-hmm. think? Do you think? And I think the difference in between the races mm-hmm. is pride. Pride, absolutely, absolute pride. Because pride, pride. The Bible tells us that pride comes before the fall. Yep. Anytime somebody falls from grace, you take that's a natural principle and a spiritual principle. Take the uh, president of Imran. He had pride, and that's why he kept stealing money from people, stealing money. Pride came before the fall, and when he fell, it was so detrimental to his family to the point that two of the children committed suicide. Pride. Pride always comes before the fall. David in the Bible, when he decided to sleep with Bathsheba, pride. I'm the king. I want her. I got her. Now yeah. she's pregnant. Okay, I need to kill her husband so I can make her my wife. Pride. Hmm. That's what happened to Solomon. Pride. The Bible tells us that Solomon was the wisest man that will ever live, ever. It took one girl for him to lay on her bosom and cut his hair and gave his secret up because of pride. God told him, leave them strange women alone. They're going to change the way you think, Solomon. Leave them alone. And Solomon was the son of David, so Solomon picked up the same trait that David had, pride. Gotcha. Yeah, we won't dig too deep into the Bible, but but as far as as far but, as the but, the father, yeah, go ahead. I gotta ask a question about pride, though. Sure. Um, before you, I think I know where you're going, but I gotta ask this question about pride. Is pride doesn't the wife always follow pride when you walk outside the door? She knows that she's not talking to you, and you're having an argument. But you'll go to church, and that, like everything else, is hunky dory, and you got the best marriage ever. Mm. Is that pride to show that you're not having a good marriage outside of the home? That's a and form wife, of pride, and, and the wife goes along with it. That is a form of pride. That's a form of pride, a form of arrogance. Because you now, now we, if 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 your marriage is having a problem. You don't want to sh- you don't want to show that to the world, but at the same time you don't want to live 
is just belief. Like if me and my wife have an argument in the morning or have a discussion or a problem Sunday morning, when I get to church, we smile. That's because we don't want to influence other people negatively because we're involved in ministry. But that don't mean we are ignoring the problem. We're going to handle the problem when we get home. But I'm not going to embarrass. The worst thing a woman can ever do is embarrass a man in public. It will kill his pride. And I can't stand when I see a woman cuss her husband out in the grocery store. Because what you do is you make that man feel like the bottom of the bottom of your shoe. You can't ever embarrass a man. If you embarrass a man over and over and over again, eventually he's going to stop respecting you. He's going to stop respecting you. You can't embarrass a man like that. If it, my, I tell my wife, look, if you have a problem with me, don't you ever respect me in public, disrespect me in public. Yeah. You wait till mm. we get home. Yeah. You wait till we get home. And when we get home, you can rip me at one end and down the other because ain't nobody there but me and you. But don't you ever disrespect me in public. One, because you carry my name. And two, you and I are going to go home. We're going to forget about this little argument. But the people that we influence and our sphere influence, they're not going to forget the way that we blew up in front of them. See, people don't forget. We don't forget. We're going to go on with life. But people around you, they're not going to forget. That's why you can't let any, any and everybody in your marriage. You ask the question, is, the, is your father the problem in your marriage? And the more people you let in your marriage and try to fix your problem, you're going to get more problems. Everybody's not equipped to help you in your marriage. The best people to help you in your marriage are you and your spouse. Because so you are the only one who really know what's going on. You're the only one that really know that you sleep on the couch every night and she in the bed. You're the only one that really know that she don't never fix you no breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You're the only one that know that. Yeah, and I want to go back to what you said about the Bible, the ministry, and, and, and tie it kind of together. And the topic for the evening is can my father be the cause of my marriage problem? No one drop a monkey wrench. Don't miss this. Can my father be the solution to my marriage problem? And I'm not I'm not talking about my earthly father this time. Uh oh. Uh oh, uh-oh is right. Uh oh, is right. It's the 11 o'clock hour, right? It's the 11 o'clock hour. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, you know, Lord be the solution. I'm not going to say he could be the solution. I'll go to the the point to say he is the solution. Mm. He is the solution. Because to say he could be would say that he could fail. But the Bible says that he never fails. He never fails. So it's not that is he the solution. The, the, the answer to the question is he, he is the solution to the problem. If there is a after if he ordained marriage, marriage is God's idea, it ain't man. That's God's idea because he said, I'm going to marry my bride. Marriage, the institution of marriage is created by God. That's why, you know, this homosexual thing, I ain't going to get in too deep. It's perversion of what, what God would like. And eventually marriage is going to suffer for that. But that's a whole other discussion. Yeah. But he is the solution to, to because he is the best example of uh, of a marriage, his relationship with the church. He loves the church. When I say the church, I mean everybody involved 
in the body of Christ. He loved the church. Even when we messed up, he still loves us. That's what marriage is supposed to be. My wife messed up, I'm still supposed to love her. When when I'm depressed and I'm down and out, he gives me a hug. Why? Because he's my father. That's what my marriage is supposed to be. When my, when my wife is depressed and down and out, I'm supposed to give her a hug. You know, when I'm suffering lack and I need something, I can go to him and ask him, he'll provide a way. That's how it is my wife. If she needs something, she needs love, guidance, encouragement. I'm supposed to do that for her. Because the Bible says we're supposed to treat our wife as if that, how God treats the church. He treats the church like gold and silver. Even when the church doesn't do what's right, he still treats it like gold and silver. And that's the way we're supposed to treat our spouse, like gold and silver, like a fine diamond, like a ruby. They, are they, are they going to be perfect? No, our wife ain't perfect. We're not perfect. They're not going to be perfect humans. They're not going to be perfect. We can't expect them to be perfect. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to have errors in their ways. They're human. We're all human. Nobody is perfect. There's only been one perfect person to walk the earth that I believe, and that's Jesus Christ. Nobody else is perfect. We are all subject to flaw. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to have errors of our way. But that don't mean I quit. And I think this, we have a generation now of, of, to me personally, of quitters. We get in a situation. We don't win. What we do? We quit. We quit, we quit on our marriage. We quit on our children. We quit on our wife. We, we, we got a generation of quitters. And then what we do, we raise children to be quitters. I didn't make the football team my freshman year. I'm not going to try out anymore my sophomore, junior, senior. If Jordan thought like that, there wouldn't be no Jordan. Because he got cut his freshman year. What did he do? He got better so it never happened again. The words. You know, but the answer to the question is, I believe... I believe the father in having his solution if there's marital problems going on. I believe he is the solution to bring it uh, to the forefront. But at the end of the day, we have a responsibility. We have to be bold enough. The Bible says we have to be bold. We have to be bold enough to go to God and say, look, God, I'm struggling with this marriage thing. I need some guidance. I need some help. We gotta be bold enough to go to him. We can't be ashamed. We can't be ashamed to say, "Look, I messed up. I, I, ain't, I don't know what I'm doing." You gotta be bold enough to go to him and say, "Look, God, I don't know what I'm doing." You know, I, I, you can say, "Look, look, God, I ain't have no father. I ain't have no mother. They didn't teach me. They didn't teach me anything. I don't know. All, all, my father beat my mom all the time. He didn't teach me how to be a good husband. He didn't teach me how to be a good father." You have to be bold enough to go to God and tell him that, though. Hey, look, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to be no husband. I don't know how to be no father. I need your help. Mm-hmm. He'll do it. He'll do it. But you got to be bold enough to admit it. Most men don't. We, we don't want to admit when things are wrong. We have a problem. We, we, we are men and we're, we're made to be soldiers. And we got this hard exterior. But on the inside, we're dying. So but you got a good point when you say we don't want to admit when we're wrong. I guarantee you there's been many times I told my wife, I mean, I, I, you know, I haven't admitted when when she might have been right every once in a while. But every once in a while, I will apologize. Say, you know what, you're right. My bad. But I won't get that the same way back. That's just, you know, they are, a woman would never admit and say she's sorry. But um, I have to say, this is a great call. But we're getting close to the end. Is there one thing? Because early in my marriage, uh, my wife would tell me that you're acting or doing what your father did. Mm. Now, 
at first, I when I first heard this, I would say, how does she, how does my father, act? how does she know how my daddy is? And then, and then I would confide her, and that could have been my fault early. But then my mother would tell me some, would tell her some things about my father and what he did. And um, does does your wife know when you're acting like your father? I would say yes. So my wife would tell me in a minute. She'd be like, uh, "You acting like your daddy today." Mm-hmm. And and but for me, I can say you know what? That's not a bad thing because she had she acted in a positive way. Uh, but always that's if we're like that that knowledge. Where where does my wife get that knowledge? She's only gonna get that knowledge one like your situation. Is she's had the opportunity to observe your father. So a lot of times, our wives they don't have the opportunity to observe our father, so they don't know where we get our behavior from. They may assume. But mm-hmm. if I'm acting like like my father in a sense or whatnot. Like, you know, for you, like, you're hard work and all those type of things. You know, that's not necessarily a bad thing as long as your father was uh, had, you know, was acting in a positive manner. But if it's a negative thing, then you have to you have to ask yourself a question. You know, you have to be honest with yourself first. You know, am I really acting like my father? Am I not doing what I need to do? Am I working too much? Am I never home? Whatever the case may be, am I am I... Am I doing what I need to do to to be a good man? Because sometimes, long the longer you're married, you know, the more lackadaisical we get. It's like anything else; you get relaxed, you get comfortable. But when you first get married, you do everything in your power to keep the marriage happy. You keep it going. You put your all and all in it. But then you know you get ten years down the road, fifteen down the road. You know, then we all relax and get lackadaisical. Then we lose that fire a little bit. Mhm. But there was one thing that I used to. Uh... I don't know if y'all y'all said this, but me and my argument when my wife would say it, she would say it in a way that um, I just be honest. You know, there was a time that my dad was a was a Rolling Stone. Sure. You know, if everybody remember that song, mm-hmm. and um, when we were in our first part of my marriage and stuff, uh, she knew my friends. Uh, my friends were still single, and it was you know I was married, and she knew me. And uh, she would say, you know, you just like your father. And I would get mad. I would get upset because I, in the middle of the I would just snap and say, I'm trying to be way different than my father to show you how much I love you. I'm not trying to be a Rolling Stone. And I would do things in my marriage to to visually show her that I'm not like my father in that way. Now let me ask you, Pete Town. I mean, did you get offended somewhat, a little bit? Was oh, offended! I would snap. I would lose it. Mm-hmm. It was past offended. Now, have you ever had a conversation with her and 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 said, you know, and, you know, at a calm time, not doing an argument, but have a conversation with her and said, you know, I would appreciate it if you don't, you know, refer to me as acting like my father, because I'm trying to do everything I can to be opposite to him in these particular areas. And just let yeah. her know and let her know be like when you when you refer to me like that, like I'm telling my father, it, it offends me because I know I'm doing all I can to try not to be like that. I did. You know? 
you had that conversation with her. And a lot of times yeah. you gotta have those conversations with her. And some women they, they can relate, they can say, you know what, I didn't some women don't even know so why sometimes they don't even know that they hurt you until you tell them. If you never tell mm-hmm. them that something they say bothers you, if you never tell them, they will never know. They're not mind readers. If if your if if your wife does something all the time that gets on your nerves and you never tell her, look, you're getting on my nerves with this particular situation, how would they know that they're getting on your nerves if you never tell them? Mm-hmm. You know, like, I hate when my wife comes home and the gas is on heat. And finally, I just told her, look, hon, when the gas is getting low, tell me I will fill the gas tank up when I come home. Because it would get on my nerves. I would get up Sunday morning, we'd be on the way to church, and I'd see the gas light on. Wouldn't stop by the gas station or wouldn't even notify you that, you know, my gas so is know, I have a tendency. I, I try not to let my wife, if possible, I don't like her going to the gas station because that's just the type of man I am. If I don't want her to go to the gas station, I, I'll do it for her. But it's mm-hmm. a common courtesy. Let me know. But it was one of those things where I think men sometimes, we don't, if we have a problem with our spouse, instead of telling them that there's a problem, we just ignore it. And then one day, I call it a trash masher. That's the way we teach it is, your trash masher will explode. It'll take one fishbone to go into your little trash masher that you've been building up for five, ten years, and one little fishbone blow up your trash masher, and you'll have the argument of a lifetime over something that could have been dealt with months or years ago because no one ever said anything. They say one thing to offend you, and finally you get fed up. Like you said, you blow up. Mm-hmm. And you just snapped, man. I mean, it was right around that seven. We had a show called The Seven-Year Itch, where things just start going south and then all types of arguments happen, and you're like, where did this come from? Mm-hmm. And it started right around then. And I couldn't believe it. it. It was shocking to me. But I said that. I said, listen, you know, that really offended me. You, you took you, – you, that was a low blow. And we worked it out, and and she knew, but she just—it was like she was losing a fight, so she had to throw a haymaker from nowhere. <laughs> and women hate losing. When they lose, man, they will—they throw out some stops. And 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 no, and no one can hurt you like your wife because she knows stuff about you that nobody else knows. Mhm. She'll throw that uppercut one time, I tell you, and it'll piss you off really bad. Last question of the night, fellas. Last question of the night that I have. But if you have it, we'll we'll we'll, we'll bring it up in open mic. Um, do you you know we all married? I'm 15 years in the business this June, uh, 20 years with my wife. Um, but I really don't go to my father for marriage advice anymore. I think I'm past that point. Uh, do you continue to go to your father for marriage advice or? Uh, is there like a time frame where it shouldn't you should not go to your outside of your marriage for marriage advice? Why do you ask that, Pete? Because I was thinking the exact same question. <laughs> I didn't write it down. I just sitting here thinking the exact same question. Like when that when things like that happen, when you have issues, would you call your father and say, "Hey, you know, I need some advice." You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Which is the you know like on demand. Advice. 
because you know we 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 know that a lot of men keep it to themselves and they just muscle through it. You know what I mean? Or we just try to figure it out. We don't even go to Google. We just try to figure it out the best way we can without talking about it because we don't want to perceive the um, see this being weak and not being you know in control of our house. I know. I've called my dad and asked him for advice. Wow. Wow. As a matter of fact, um, the older I get, the more I respect his wisdom. Mm. Mm. Now, is his advice something that is easy to take? Uh, Yeah, just because he comes at it from a point of, um, of let me tell you what I've experienced and, and how it works for me. Sure. Not from a, a a father-child situation as, you know, as I was growing up, but, you know, hey, you know, I faced situations like this. Let me tell you how I dealt with them. Let me tell you, you know, what, what happened when I dealt with it. You know, because I can trust him that, that his heart is right. Not that I always take all of his advice, but I can trust that it's good, you know, it's coming from a place from the right heart. Gotcha. And the reason why I ask that question is because my father's never given me marriage advice. So, and maybe I've never asked it because he's never given it. So I don't know how I would how I would receive it. I'd probably ask you before I asked him. You know what I mean? Because uh, again, I don't know. You know, from what I I, I realize that my dad's been married for fifty years. Yeah. And he must have done something that I didn't understand because I've been divorced twice. Sure. <laughs> so his track record is a little bit better than mine. And when I was young, I just thought he didn't understand things. I'm with you, though. I'm with you, but I'm a firm believer that my parents just stayed together just because. Mm-hmm. Well, my parents have a, have, you know, have a good relationship. And 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 they still have fun with each other, and they still, you know, I mean, they're you know they hold hands and all that kind of fun stuff after fifty years. Now, Andrew, now I got to bring that you on on a little earlier, but um, at the beginning of the call, um, we asked the question about how do how do you and your father communicate? And a lot of people said they their father communicated they they communicate with their father visually. By watching what he did, so if you're watching and, and bad stuff is going on in the marriage, why would you, in your mind, why would you go to that person? I wouldn't to get that advice. I wouldn't even even when, you know, when I, you know, like I said, it was it hasn't been until, um, until later in life that I realized that my father wasn't wrong about everything. Um, me and my father did not have a very good relationship um, when I was growing up, and and we didn't have a good relationship as I was an adult. We didn't have a good relationship actually until I became a Christian, and and I had to confront him about some things that that weren't right. Mm. And um, he was a very proud man. He literally, didn't speak to me for six months. Um, but I had to forgive him for some things, and 
And that was about 10 years ago, and today we have a great relationship. Yeah. You know, but um, now I see things, you know, now I see he did the best from where he was at. Okay, and, and, and he didn't have a father growing up, so he didn't know. He did the best he could, you know. And now, you know, where my where my thought process is, is maybe Dad sees this from an angle I don't see it at because I'm not, you know, 75-plus years old, and I don't think, I mean, you know, I, I talk to a lot of people, and, 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 and a lot of times I'll, I'll talk to kids, and, you know, there's, there's nobody smarter than a 17-year-old kid. <laughs> no doubt. And um, on Facebook, I have some conversations with some kids I've met around the world. And there's one little kid I met in South Africa. Um, he's from England, and he's a proclaimed atheist. And, and we have a lot of conversations back and forth. Some of you all may have seen some of them or not. I don't know. But... Um, I talk to them, and I say, you know, of course, like I said, nobody is smarter than a 17-year-old kid. And, and my, my question to him was, I, I said to him, I said, look, I know that, that you know right now that this is the way it is. I said, but 10 years from now, you're going to look at things very differently. You're going to think differently. You're going to see things differently. And, of course, he told me, oh, well, that's not true. I know what this is, da 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 And to that I said, well, let me ask you something. Do you think different today than you did 10 years ago? He said, well, of course. I was seven years old. I thought as a child. I said, trust me, when you're 27, you're going to look at the way you think at 17, and you're going to say, oh, my God, I can't believe I thought that way. And, see, we do the same thing. I mean, we think when we're 27, we're grown, and we think that way. But when we're 40, we look back and go, oh, my God, did I really think like that? How about, how about did I really do those things? Did I really do those things? <laughs> well, started with the way we thought. So to me, at 50 years old, I re- rely on my dad at, at 75 because He's been 50, and now he's 75, and he probably has a different thought process than I have today, which I cannot get unless I speak to somebody that, that has, has lived through that point. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, that's where I, I talk to my dad today and really respect his opinion um, and know that it's coming from a point of love and, and that he would do anything he could to help me. There's no ulterior motive. So that's why I talked to my dad about things that I never talked to before. I said, look, I, you know, I'm, he's wrong. I know what I, I don't need his advice. Uh, so just from that perspective, because, again, I can trust that, that he's not trying to hurt me. And number two, you know, he's experienced. You know, I don't care how much you want your four-year-old to grow up, all right, you can't force maturity. People have to grow up in time. Sure. Okay, you, can, you can't take your four-year-old and say, okay, now we're going to start on algebra. I mean, you're just going to, you know, have a very upset child and you're going to be frustrated. Mm-hmm. People have to take time to grow through every stage in life. And for me, I know that, um, that I don't have it all. And the older I get, the more the more I realize how stupid I am. So, so the, and I appreciate what you're saying. 
And so I think um, from what I'm hearing, we, we have to make a conscious choice and an effort to keep those lines of communication open between us and our teenage kids or grown adult kids or whatever the case may be um, concerning marriage. I think so, and I think they have to they have to get to a point that they realize that dad did the best he could from where he was at, and that takes maturity. Yeah. Mhm. Okay, and it takes it takes a spiritual maturity also. You know, because I mean, you know, I've done not proud of, and I, as as all of us probably have. Um, but you know, that doesn't mean that I still can't help because I've made some mistakes. That doesn't mean I can't help. Yes. Yeah. That that that's that's good words. Because maturity is is huge. Is huge. I've learned a lot from my father, good and bad. And uh, to you know, to to conclude and close, I learned a lot from my father, good and bad. And I tried to uh, emphasize that to my son in ways that I thought I would never do. I always thought, you know, hey, my son, going out there and play. I want him to go outside. I mean, me and my wife had this conversation. I need him to go outside. I need him to see the world and make mistakes. And they come to me and so we can talk about the mistakes. Um, I don't want him confide in a inside the home where most of our kids are confide these days behind a Game Boy or, you know, PS2. I want him to be able to do things and be able to uh, rationalize things and come up with a good let's say, you know, hypothesis of anything that he needs to know. He needs to figure it out on his own. And then when he can't figure it out, come to me. And I'm hoping that I show how good I am with his his with his mother. Because in the past, I mean we brought it up earlier, but sometimes families these days will argue in front of their kids. And I have to say my mom and dad never argued in front of me and my sister, but I did find myself arguing in front of my kids. Can you can you define argue? Define. I, I'm talking about down out, not having disagreements, yelling, oh, fussing, okay, okay. Um, getting it in. The reason I said that is um, we talked to a lot of couples. And some of them feel like um, we can't have any disagreement in front of the child. And I don't. Yeah, we talked that's about that really in the, the way. Night. I don't. I don't think that's really. We we we've sat with couples that have said my parents never disagreed and never you know argued about anything. And I don't understand why I'm in a marriage that that we argue about everything. That's not real world. Now you know cussing, screaming, hollering—that's that's that's a different situation. But I mean, mm-hmm. you know, your your kids seeing that you guys don't agree and even get upset with each other is normal, as long as they see the other side of it. You know, our daughter before she left for college, she was about sixteen, and she said to Glenn and I, she said, "I don't understand you two. 
I said, what are you talking about? She said, well, you guys don't make any sense. What do you mean? She said, you guys argue. You get upset with each other. And she said, and it always ends the same. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, please forgive me. She said, that doesn't make sense. Why do you argue at all? Because you always know it's going to come to the same thing. Hmm. Now, what she didn't understand was she saw the way that you are supposed to handle things. Yes. Now, in her 16-year-old mind, she thought, well, if you know you're going to end up with, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, please forgive me, why would you argue at all since you always know it's going to end that way? Because it always does. I never looked at it that way. Yep. And, um, you know, today she has such a grasp on relationships. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> She was posting something the other day on, on Facebook or something, and, and she was telling her kids, I mean her kids, her friends who are kids, you know, her age. Anybody your kid's age is a kid. You know, they're 22. When I was 22, I didn't think of myself as a kid. But when you have kids 22, everybody that your kid's age is a kid. Okay? And she's saying she was talking to some of her friends. And, and and her friends were asking her this and that about relationships. And she said, my parents are marriage counselors. And she said, I have seen so many people come through our living room, all right, with all these different problems and this and that. And and she said, and you know what the biggest problem is? She said, they don't forgive each other. And I thought, wow. To be 22 years old and understand that. Yeah. Yeah. I never got that from my parents. And that's a bare minimum. Yeah. Yeah. I never got that from mine. I mean, now that you said that, I'm thinking about it. Did I ever see my father forgive my mother or my mother forgive? I just seen life go on. Hmm. You, you know, here's another day they're not arguing. Good. That means I can have a good day. But you never saw them forgive each other. Or say, you know, I forgive you or I'm sorry. In public, it was just an argument, and the next thing you know, life was good. I really think that we need we need to, you know, obviously be respectful to each other, but we need to we kids need to understand, you know, marriage isn't always agreement. I'm serious. We have had people sit on our couch and say. My parents never argued. Why are we arguing all the time? Something's wrong with this marriage. Now, anybody on this call that's married knows that if there's no such thing as a marriage that you agree on everything. No. No. Okay? One of the funniest things to us is we'll sit down and do premarital with some couples, and they say, oh, I said, why do you want to get married? Oh, we just love each other. Yeah, okay. What else? Oh, we just, how do you know we love each other? We love each other so much because we've never even had an argument. Glenn and I look at each other and go, hmm, well, you're in for it. Yeah. Glenn says, you know, love is blind, but marriage is an eye-opener. <laughs> no doubt. Gotta be mentally tough for that. that right. Marriage is grown folks' business. That's right. And that's one of the things that we talked about tonight on this call. 
And it's a shame that our parents hid so much from us. Because what it did was, you know, not not really, you know, it's in your bloodline. You know, somebody talked about earlier, where did the anger come from, the mother or the father? So these issues, these traits are in your bloodline, but you don't know how to deal with them because you've never seen them before. Didn't mean they haven't happened, it's just it was it was hidden from you. Yeah, like I said, I, I, I really think that, I think that, that children need to understand the real deal with marriage, okay, obviously be respectful. We learn that as, you know, you know, as men in, in this call. But they also need to know that, you know, there's going to be times that, you know, we don't, you know, I do things wrong. And and here's the one thing. If we have ever done something wrong in front of Deja, the apology happens not just between ourselves but in front of her. And we'll, you know, there's, and I'll tell you, y'all dealing with step parent situations, that's a whole other issue. Yeah. Okay, especially in the beginning days, it, you know. Um, yeah, I didn't know, even bring that up tonight. That, that, that Glenn would, you know, she's she's the, you know, she's the mama bear, man. Mm-hmm. And you know, there were things that, that you know, she would jump and and protect her baby bear, you know, you know and. And and there there were times that you know that she wasn't right. It was wrong, and and she had to bring Deja in and say, you know, when I said this, I was wrong. Okay, you know, and I shouldn't have said what I said, and I I disrespected my husband in front of you, and I want to ask you to forgive me as I ask him to forgive me. You know, and and somebody mentioned just when I got on the call that, you know, one of the worst things you can do is disrespect a man. And there's nothing worse to a man than to disrespect and dishonor him because that's how we receive love. When you dishonor and disrespect a man, you are telling him, I don't love you. Yeah, because the first thing we do is go in defense and fire off back. And then now we got a situation on the hand. I tell women all the time, do you know, I, I, I tell them, you, you can always tell when you've disrespected your husband. I said when he reacts in anger. Okay? Because a lot of women don't understand what disrespectful action is to their husband. I mean, some of them are trying to disrespect him, but sometimes some women, and, and I had this problem when I first got married, my wife would say things, and I said, that's disrespectful. I said, what do you mean? I said, when you said that, that's disrespectful to me. And she wasn't trying to disrespect me. She just didn't understand what was disrespectful to me. Sure. And we had to get a signal so she would understand. And she'd say, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. Please forgive me. Let me try to figure out a better way to say this. Because I don't want to dishonor you. Well, and that's a good thing because you're right. Half our arguments may have been just because I felt like I was disrespectful. Well, that's what happens. And one thing that, that, that we learned is if if I tell you um, when you do this, this is how it makes me feel, you can't argue with that. You can't tell me, oh, no, you don't feel that way. 
if I, if I say to you, when you said this, this is how you made me feel, the only, the only thing is, is for her to say, well, I wanted you to feel like that because you are a stupid idiot. One, or I didn't mean for you to feel like that. Please forgive me. Let me try to explain it in a way that I mean it because I don't mean for you to feel that way. That's the only two responses. If you say, when you do this, this is how you make me feel, is that what you meant to do? Yes, because you're an blah, 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 and you deserve it. Okay, now I know where we are. Or, no, I don't mean for you to feel that way because I don't feel that way. Let me try to say it in a way that doesn't make you feel that way because I, I don't mean to make you feel that way because I don't feel like you're an idiot and I don't feel like that you're not important. I don't feel like that you're not the man of this house. So let me try to say it in a way that isn't making you feel that way because that's not my heart. That'll disarm an argument. Hello? Yeah, but you gotta be you gotta be in a situation where where the person is gonna be at that level of maturity to do that. Amen. And that's why it takes somebody talked about it. Um, you know, that's why it, it takes you know um, you know the marriage counseling. That's why it takes the marriage seminars. That's why it takes the communication and learning how to communicate. That's why it takes men getting on this call, understanding what men's roles are. We just counseled with a couple tonight wanting to get married, and he didn't have any male role models in his life. He doesn't know what being a husband or a good father is. How's he supposed to know? He's 34 years old. Householdstress.com. That's it. That's it. That's it. Okay. I mean, but you, you know, I mean, how long has this call been on, and how many thousands of people are on this call every week? Thousands, right? <laughs> it needs to be. Yeah, right. Because there are very few outlets that will teach a man how to be a man. Somebody also mentioned very few men come to counseling. Very few black men will even seek counseling. I got this. I don't need this. I ain't weak. I mean, that's the truth. I mean, you know, that's the truth. Yeah, but it goes back to that word you just said, that sometimes can being disrespected be a good thing for a black man? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. It's never a good thing to be disrespected. Well, I'm talking about by telling them that he is wrong. So if he goes to a counselor and the counselor says, you know what, you're wrong, and he feels disrespected, but he doesn't realize that he uh-huh. is really wrong. I've had people do that, and and you know what? I've had people cut me off, say you you know tell me that I'm yeah, I'm a man. It's okay. Mm-hmm. No, you come to me, you ask me my opinion. I see the way you treat your wife. You treat her like a dog. Okay, you tell her that you hate her, that you wish she would die. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, I'm gonna call a spade a spade. You know, but I mean, I've had people like I said. You know what? You don't need to talk to me anymore. So you know you're right. You know, I, I you know, and people, people, people sometimes come to counseling for for vindication and not help. They come to counseling for for you to pick sides and you to be on their side. Okay, instead of, you know. Um, Wanting help. They need a cosign. 
They want you to say your 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 wife is wrong, your husband's wrong. You know, but um it is what it is. You know, I'm on this call tonight, uh, because my wife said, How come you haven't got on householdstress.com in a while? Mm. So I figured I had lost I must mm. Say that. Say that, Missy. Woo-hoo. I got that on the record. Listen listen to that statement, fellas, because you know know this is something when your wife comes to you, and he he said his wife said the same thing to him. He's gone now. But when your wife comes to you and says, what's up with you? How how come you ain't been on, on, on the show lately? What's your problem? <laughs> That's saying something when your wife comes to you and says, Yes, and, and it said to me, I must be slipping. That's I need to get right. some iron to sharpen my iron. There you I'm going to tell you what, I don't get many places that that, uh, that that I can sharpen the iron. That's right, brother. And we welcome you back anytime. That's how, that's how we roll, man. No. We ain't going to be like, man, you missed eight weeks in a row. Where you been? And did? I thought you were fast. That's why you wasn't. I didn't. Oh, okay. So you just been not with us, Andrew. Okay. <laughs> I thought you had a balance. <laughs> I'm going to say, you slipping. Why, yeah. you know, why, why are you coming to bed? You should be on the call. Mm-hmm. You said that last week to me. I was like, oh, wow, okay. And and I don't know if Ronnie just said it, but, but somebody just said it makes you think. It made me think. I said, you know what? I must not be acting right. Something must be. I must be. You, you know, that's what it said to me. I, you know what? I need to get these men to straighten my butt out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Now, she didn't come out and say, you ain't doing this or you saying that. I just thought to myself, you know what? She had never said that before. Wow. Mm-hmm. You know what? I must be getting short with her. I must be something. I, I need I need some men to, to, to put some things out to me. Yeah, yeah. And, and your pride was so relaxed yep. that you didn't respond in a way that, like, you know, I'm good. You know, I'm, I'm a great head of household. You, you, you kind of reflect, and it's like, well, maybe I do need. That's exactly <laughs> what I thought. I thought because we've been counseling this couple, right? You know, so, yeah. you know, they leave at nine thirty, ten o'clock, ten thirty sometimes. You know, I said, I said Tuesday when they leave, I'm getting on this call because I need it. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome we missed back. you, man. We're always here waiting for you. Yeah. No Next doubt. week, we're not going to start until you call in. How about that? <laughs> That's right. We're going to pull We're going to finish by nine, but I don't know. You know, sometimes. You yeah, know. sometimes it go long. Uh-huh. I, we, we said tonight, okay, we're going to finish by nine. We got this couple, man. They didn't even know who Christ was. We, we couldn't stop. Gotcha. Gotcha. It works. Wow. That's. That's a great story right there. I mean, that's good. I'm glad we heard that. Yes, we need that. Yeah, because, oh. because, again, I mean, it's just like, it's just like, I don't know. It, it, if, 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 if she sees it, that means it's a good thing. That's right. Is, man. You know? If she sees it, that means it's a good thing. Because there could be so many other things, you know, they say, well, no, why are you on that call all the time? Why don't you want to be hugged up? Why you got to be on that call? She told me last week, how come you don't get on that call? You ain't been on that call in a while. You know, and and the first thing I thought was, all right, Lord, I must be slipping. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know what I mean? I mean, yeah, we know. Uh, okay, you know, and, and and like I said, one of the one of the challenges for me 
in my life, I don't have a whole lot of a whole lot of people calling me on stuff. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one of my employees said to me one day. She said, um, "Andrew, a patient called up here and 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 and, and said to me that I, I need to tell you 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 needed to come here and you need to do that. And why weren't you here? And why weren't you there?" She, she's like, "This woman must have it twisted." <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean, but literally, you know, and and P Town knows, you know, you don't, you know, you work for yourself, especially after That's you it. know amount of years. You know, your mind thinks differently. You don't go to ask somebody to do something. You just you do what you what you do. That's it. You know, and and I, I remember when I left my company, I don't know, fifteen, eighteen years ago, I was unemployed. Today, I'm unemployable. I mean, you get to a point that you just couldn't imagine somebody telling you what to do and where to go and what time that you had to be there and this is your place you got to be. And, and your brain doesn't get that. What do you mean, ask for leave? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, my wife, she's been in the government 27 years, and she got to go and request leave, and they can deny it. That's right. I mean, that's, that's some stuff. It's hard for me to grasp that. I'm right there with you, Andrew. I'm you know right what I'm talking there. about, right? Yes, sir. He has to literally submit and wait for her boss to sign off, even if she has the leave to take. Yeah. yeah. That's some crazy stuff. It's tough. You going to have an open mic tonight, P-Town? Open mic, man. Let's see. Uh, man, this, hey. This shit kept going. Let me listen. Let's shut it down and let's just go in the open mic. Um, next week's topic is, Martin? Yes, sir. Did you plan your marriage before you planned your wedding? Mm. <laughs> hey, can I ask one question, though? Thank you. Mm-hmm. I just want to ask one question along the lines of, 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 of what we're talking about tonight. And, and, I don't know, man. Maybe this question came up on another call. I think it did, but I'm going to bring it up again. You know how women have their their goal, most women, their goal is to have that amazing wedding day. And they get this at a very young age. You know what I mean? And that's their goal. It may not be the marriage itself. It may not be the husband. It may not be any of that. It may just be the wedding day. And I bet if some women could do it without a husband they would. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But but when talking to our kid just like P Town is dealing with his son, do we emphasize the importance of getting married at a very young age with our boys? Nope. No. So, I mean, how does the conversation go, or does the conversation even come up? Because my father never talked to me about marriage, and I think I've said that before, but not even when I was a young boy. Like, hey, one day you're going to get married, and that never came up. That never came up for me either. And little girls dream about their wedding day. How many how many boys sit around playing with, 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 with the G.I. Joe walking down the aisle? Oh. I mean, my There's G.I. No- Joe was ripping Barbie's head off. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, 
You know what I mean? My sister had a Ken doll that would ride in the pink Corvette with Barbie. And, <laughs> and, and G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu grip would attack Ken and, and rip his punk head off. And take Barbie mm-hmm. from him. That's right. I grew up. Mhm. It was like dodge marriage as long as you can possibly get away with it. I mean, who? What man grew up thinking about his wedding day? Really? Not me. Not me. And that kind, not the kind of men I hung around. Not me. I mean, maybe maybe men today do because you know they got they got homosexual marriage. But I mean, dudes, I was growing up with. I mean, we were thinking about getting into panties. Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of it's funny that Tony asked that question because that's that's kind of what we're going to talk about next week. So, kind of, it rolls right in. That's what we're doing this show. Yep, rolls right in. So, good question. Okay, so they get answered next week. I just gotta wait. We get to you know, get, your, get your answer next week. Let me hit this end button. Yeah. And then we're already going out. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.